You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. The Fan. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Football Feast PA and Charge Football Feast Hardcore Football Time for two more KFAN, and from the Bryan Heating and Cooling Studios, it is now post time for the Friday Football Feast. The co host is Paul Charchian from fanball.com, and I'm Paul Allen, footballing the first hour of the presentation. Mike Florio from profootballtalk.com, 935. Ross Tucker from Sirius NFL Radio, segment number two. But we begin with this guy. Tenth play of the possession. Vikings 2 of 8 on third down, empty backfield. Three receivers left, two right, step on dig, slot right. Cousins back to pass, fires to the end zone! Caught! Touchdown! Adam Thielen, you're unstoppable! Adam Thielen, wide receiver for the Minnesota Vikings, joins PA in charge. Adam, it's Paul Allen and Paul Charchian on a Friday. Good morning to you. Good morning. How are we doing? Uh, we're doing well. Those workouts at uh, Twin Cities Orthopedics Performance Center, how are they going? They're going good. It's uh, It's been good, you know, obviously putting in a new offense. Um, it's been good to be around the guys and uh, learning the offense together. You know, it's kind of an interesting thing. Usually uh, the veterans are way ahead of the, the rookies coming in and things like that, but uh, with, with the new offense and kind of the off-season rules, they're probably a little ahead of us because they've already had practices and things like that, but... Uh, it's a little different. What uh, what are some what are some challenging facets, Adam, of learning a new offense? Well, the, just you know, learning the terminology and and understanding the nuances of of, of you know the new offense of the new coordinator, 
um, you know, what they like, what they don't like. You know, every, everybody likes things ran a little bit differently. Um, essentially, it's the same plays, um, but like I said, new terminology, new ways of, of maybe running it and, and how they like it done. So just the challenge really is, is not really knowing the playbook. It's, it's kind of mastering it and doing it um, to, to the way that uh, the quarterback and the offense corner want it. Hey, Adam, it's Paul Charchian. I've got uh, – there's just something that you and I have to clear the air on right now. Okay. When you came out to the State Fair last summer, uh, it was you and Stefan. And we, at that point, they'd started to transition you more to the slot and Steph more out wide. And I said to you, Adam, this feels like a natural move. Like, this is going to be the, 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 the spot for you. I think you're going to get a lot of productivity for my fantasy guys from the slot. And you laughed at me and you scoffed at me. And you know what? You are a liar because that is you, my friend. Oh, you were fantastic as a slot receiver. And I think uh, I think you were sandbagging me last summer at the State Fair. <laughs> well, honestly, I, I still would probably disagree with you. Um, I, I honestly don't. I, I think, you know, the, the fun thing for me is I like to move around and I like to be in different positions. And I feel like I am a versatile receiver, and, and that's really what's got me to where I am. And uh, honestly, I probably feel more comfortable outside, and I, and I like it more. Uh, but like I said, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to – to help this team win and and uh, to move the ball, so uh, but but I, I think I still got to disagree with you. I think I'm right, well, being outside. You get to know your you get to know your position more than than me. I'll admit that. Uh, but when you're running from the slot, it's it's different though, right? In that you're in the middle of the field, and a it's more congested, right? So you've got to kind of keep your head in a swivel a little bit. But also, you take three steps forward, you can go hard left, you can go hard right, you can. You know, it really is. It's. I think it's a different. It's a. It really is very much a different position because of the route tree and a lot of other reasons when you're playing the slot than when you're playing outside. Yeah, for sure. There, there's so many things that lead uh, into just the differences. But um, I feel like you, you're not really. Uh, you're not able to play the game within the game as much. And what I mean by that is when you're outside, uh, you're pretty much going against the same guy every single time. Yeah. Um, where you can kind of you can kind of set things up. You can do different things, which that's what I really like about playing outside. You can run deep, you can run short, you can run uh, in, you can run out. And, um, you know, when you're in the slot, you're going against a new guy pretty much every time. You might be against a linebacker, you might be against a zone, uh, you might be against a nickel, you might be against a corner over. You just you, There's just so many different guys you're playing that you can't really set things up because it's a new guy. Mm. And uh, you really don't have the ability to go uh, catch deep balls. You don't have the ability to, um, you know, run routes per se. Uh, you're more just kind of finding spots and zones, and um, you know sometimes you get some man coverage in there. But uh, but yeah, it's just a totally different position. When you're when you're when you're playing outside and you're seeing the same guy for most or much of the game, do you like trying to get in his head? Do you do that? Do you do the mental stuff at all, or do you just let your game get in his head? Have you ever seen you know? Do you like that ongoing game long matchup with one guy? I do. I love that. Um, I, I don't think it's necessarily a mental thing. Um, like getting in his head or things like that, but it's more just setting things up, making things look the exact same. Mm. Um, just keeping his head on a on a swivel throughout the whole game, you know, making uh, pretty much every time you come up the ball, it looks exactly the same. So he's kind of thinking, well, shoot, I don't know what the heck he's got going on. So, uh, <laughs> you know, because those guys are smart. Um, if you do something a little different, uh, they they kind of figure out what what you're going to do by how you line up. Um, if you're if you're a tighter split, if you're a wider split, um, how you come off the ball. So. Um, for me, it's kind of fun to be able to just line up in the same spot every time, and, and you can run everything out of that same split, and um, like I said, make everything look the same. Have you ever, think, have you ever broken a guy? 
you ever had some cornerback where you just, you know, you just put him on such a bad game by the end of it, you can see there's a look on his face or the way he's carrying himself, and you've just beaten him? <laughs> I, I, I think... I probably have, but uh, but it's probably happened to me uh, for the cornerback too. So uh, it goes both ways. Guys have gotten gotten me good enough where I'm like, what the heck is going on? But um, but yeah, it's it's one of those. You know, every game is is different. They uh, you know, especially when you're playing well, they, there's nothing they want to do than uh, to hold you from you know getting 100 yards or or catching a lot of balls. So um, it, 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 your your matchups get tougher each week. Adam Thielen is one of the best receivers in the NFL. He plays for the Minnesota Vikings. He's on the 9 to Noon radio show. Parents, listen closely, specifically parents with kids into football. Adam has football camps June 8th and 9th, part of the Thielen Foundation Youth Football Camp Program. They are at Twin Cities Orthopedics Performance Center in Egan. Saturday, June 8th, kids 14 to 18 and skill position players only. Uh, June 9th is for ages 6 to 13, and you can learn more at ThielenFoundation.org. Adam, let's begin with Saturday, June 8th, and skill position players only. What happens there? Yeah, I'm actually really excited about this. This is the first year we're doing this. It's our elite camp. Um, It's going to be for, like you said, skill positions, and it's going to be really focused on teaching the game of football. And, you know, I, I've done camps in the past, and it's great to have the younger kids and, and to have them kind of doing everything. Um, but this is going to be a very specific, um, your position, and we're going to get better. And um, we're going to have a lot of guys there. We're going to have our ETS uh, sports performance gyms that I'm a part of. Uh, we're going to kind of have them helping me run it with, with maybe some guys um, from around the league that can, that can help me teach um, specific positions. Wow. And uh, we're just really excited about it because we're really going to dive in to specifics and helping guys really get better at um, at their positions and, and helping them on uh, Friday nights when they when they play during the season with their team. So really excited about that. And uh, another thing, too, we have our ETS families growing, and uh, we're going to have a location in Chanhassen soon. So uh, go check that out as well. All right, Adam, say I'm a junior in high school, and June 8th I'm at TCO Performance Center for the Elite Skills Camp. And, um, and, and dad and I have a chance to chat with you. And, you know, me being a junior in high school, and again, I feel like I have a chance to maybe do something in college as a wide receiver. If I asked you, Adam, the art of running a route, what are some, what are some keys? How would you respond? Well, honestly, probably what we just kind of talked about, um, making everything look the same. Um, you know, for a high school junior, it's a little different. I think you just got to focus on every single offseason getting stronger, faster, um, more explosive. Um, that's why I believe so much in, in our ETS sports performance gyms because that's what's really helped me kind of take my game to the next level. But at the same time, as far as being a receiver specifically, it's all about um, coming off the ball the same way, no matter what route it is, um, running with explosiveness, setting guys up, making everything look the same so they kind of ha- don't really understand what you're going to do. And, uh, you know, I think that's what's really helped me. Uh, the camps are June 8th and 9th. Once again, the 8th Elite Skills Camp. Uh, kids ages 14 to 18, skill position players only. Then the Youth Football Camp, Sunday, June 9th, 2 to uh, two in the afternoon to 6. Uh, that's for ages 6 to 13, all led by Adam Thielen. And you can register at ThielenFoundation.org. 
ThielenFoundation.org. As a fantasy guy, I already like this camp because it's skill position players only. <laughs> I love that part. Uh, I am at ThielenFoundation.org right now. It says, your mission appears to be serving and educating and inspiring those in need to achieve their full potential. Tell me what that means, Adam. Yeah, so my wife and I, um, you know, have been really wanting to uh, launch our foundation for a long time. Finally was able to do it about seven months ago. And yeah, like you said, it's, it's really about serving those that, uh, you know, maybe don't, ha- didn't have the opportunities that we had growing up or didn't have the, don't have the resources. And we're trying to provide that and um, provide an atmosphere for um, those kids to succeed. So we're just really excited about um, what, what we've been able to accomplish so far with our foundation and, and really what the future looks like and, and how many kids we can impact. And, and, uh, you know, sports have been so huge and influential in our life and shaping us as people. So, uh, we want to make sure that if, if kids want that, um, that they have the opportunity to do that. How do you like working with Kevin Stefanski? It's been great. You know, he, he really, um, he leads that room extreme, extremely well. Um, you know, he's put together this offense this offseason that um, makes a lot of sense, and it can be very effective. And uh, just really excited to um, get to really get to OTAs and get against our defense, because right now we've just been running routes on air and um, doing all that, but uh, we're just really excited to get back out there and get to work and really see this offense, um, you know, against the defense. Your uh, your new wide receivers coach has been around for a while, Drew Petzing. I know him incredibly well. Uh, Drew's very smart. He he's a very well educated, smart guy. How do you like working with him? He's great. You know, he like you said, he's been around the game. Uh, he really understands the receiver position. He run, understands the entire offense. And uh, he's, he's a guy that's going to really help us. He understands how to prepare, how to watch film. And, uh, you know, it's like I said, it's only going to help us. Uh, we're excited. We've been, it's been a really good couple of weeks already of just learning and talking about the little nuances of, of playing receiver. And not just learning an offense, learning your position, uh, but learning the entirety of, of, of what, um, you know, the quarterback's thinking what the offensive coordinator is thinking, uh, situational football, and he does a great job teaching that. Last one. Adam, tell me about your babies, and do you love being a dad? Yes, they're, they're right here right now. I'm Aww. trying to keep from screaming. So, uh, <laughs> but, no, it's been great. Uh, my two-and-a-half-year-old, uh, he's already uh, more competitive than my wife and I, which is, which is crazy. <laughs> uh, and then uh, our four-month-old has given us a run for our money, so. Uh, it's fun to have uh, these guys, though. They keep keep me humble and, and uh, you know keep me <laughs> on my toes. So it's, it's good. Are you uh, who changes the diapers in the Thielen household? <laughs> my wife changes a lot of diapers, but uh, I definitely have changed my fair share. I think uh, um, probably this off season I've gotten to become a professional uh, diaper changer. So <laughs> is your two and a half year old in or out? Because you're you're heading into that transition time at two and a half. Yeah, he's he's in the he's in the transition right now. He's actually uh, doing a really good job. All right, he uh-huh. he's all about getting the, the treats after he goes on the big boy potty. So. <laughs> Adam, so he's doing a good job, but we still got diapers. Uh, uh, great great chat, main man. Have a uh, have a blessed weekend, and I'm sure I'll see you soon. Okay. All right, thanks guys. Thanks, thanks Adam. Uh, once again, the uh, Adam Thielen football camps, June 8th and 9th, eighth uh, elite skills camp, ninth youth football camp. Read up on it and to register at ThielenFoundation.org. Ross Tucker from Sirius NFL Radio is part of the TimberTech set list at TimberTech.com. He joins 9 to noon in the Friday football feast around the corner, but first...
It is indeed a national cash contest. A new opportunity every hour to win $1,000 and put a grand in your hand. This hour's keyword is Java. Text Java to 200-200. That's Java to 200-200. Java. Text it to 200-200. Text message data rate supply. The Fan. Programming on The Fan brought to you in part by Quick Trip. Hey, 21 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Football Feast. Very happy now to be joined by Ross Tucker, Sirius NFL Radio, and uh, the Ross Tucker Football Podcast family via Twitter. He is at Ross Tucker NFL. Ross, Paul Allen, Paul Charchian, a happy Friday to you. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Hello, Paul. We um uh, we have not chatted since the NFL draft. Uh, the Vikings and eighteen with Garrett Bradbury. You're an elite offensive mind. What do you think? I loved Bradbury. I thought it was a great pick. Um, he reminds me a lot of guys like Tom Nalen, Kevin Mawai, even mm. a little Jason Kelsey. Yeah. I mean, he's just he is an elite, elite athlete at the center position. And at center is you need to be sneaky athletic, right? I, mean, I think Ross, there's a lot of people that just ex, you know expect that you hike a ball and you just you know mow into people, but athleticism at that position can unlock a lot of things, right? No, you're a thousand percent right. I, I would say you probably have to be the most athletic mm-hmm. at center. Now, I mean, left tackle, both tackles as a pass protector. You have to be able to move laterally a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But as a center, you really need to be able to, because a lot of times they're asking you to reach or hook a nose tackle, or you got to block linebackers a lot. Yep. And his video was just so impressive. I mean, he went from tight end to D-line to O-line to tell you a little bit about the kind of athlete he is. He's really, really impressive. And I thought it was, I thought he was arguably, you know, the best old lineman along with Jonah Williams in the draft. Uh, we uh, we we see it that way too here. And he was, uh, you don't often see a, a a team's draft party go electric when you take a center, but that's what happened uh, with the Vikings at eighteen. Let me, uh, if, when people follow Ross Tucker NFL on Twitter, here's the kind of tweets you're going to get. And I love this yesterday, Ross. Adam Gase got the GM fired, alienated the team's best offensive player, became the only coach with the GM title, brought the circus back to town, and traded a starting linebacker for peanuts all within 10 hours. <laughs> Unbelievable tweet. And, Ross, what do you make of what happened with the Jets yesterday? I think it's the Jets. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's textbook Jets. My, one of my favorites was the owner saying that you know, he really wants a strategic thinker as a GM. I would have loved to have been on that conference call and said, you know what you guys really need? You need a strategic thinker as an owner. <laughs> because you literally just gave Todd Bowles and McCagnan extensions uh, at the end of 2017 season. And through the 2020 year, by the way. Mm. And then you go ahead and you fire Bowles after one year. And then you fire McCagnan five months later. After you let McCagnan hire Adam Gase as head coach and then go ahead and spend all that money, $200 million in free agency, and run the draft, then you fire him and name the head coach that nobody wanted, (laughs) the interim GM. I'm kind of feeling like maybe the Jets need an owner 
<laughs> who's a little bit more of a planner and has a little bit more of a, of a coherent strategy and semblance of logic about how to run an organization. That's kind of what I think the Jets need. It feels like Adam Gase orchestrated this from the outside. Do you have any reason to believe that it, it isn't that way? No. Of course he did. Okay. I All mean, right. <laughs> I, I mean, I, of course he did. That You know, that's what makes it funny. I mean, the best part about it to me is that they wanted to hire Matt Rule, right? McCagney wanted to hire Matt Rule from Baylor. Uh, but they wanted to dictate some of his assistant coaches. Mm-hmm. And Baylor and, and nah, I'm only going to get one shot at this. I want, I want my dudes. Okay. So they're like, okay, fine. We're not going to hire you then. We'll get Gase. Hey, Gase, are you okay with us giving you some assistance like Greg Williams is your DC? And Gase is like, yeah, no problem, pal. Let's do it. <laughs> and then four months later, he goes behind the scenes and gets McCagnan fired. I mean, wow. if McCagnan just let Matt Rule bring the guys Matt Rule wanted to bring, McCagnan's still the GM of the Jets. It's like Game of Thrones. It is. I, I would have loved to have seen the look on, on Gase's face when he said, hey, no problem, Mike. I'll, I'll, be whoever you, I'll, I'll bring whoever you want as a coach. No problem. Uh, uh, I mean, because – and then it, it's – you know, and the best, too, was the owner saying, you know, he fires – McCagnan, and they say, well, were you not happy with his off-season moves? He's like, no, I loved all his moves. <laughs> I loved hiring games. I loved free agency. I loved the draft. It's like, okay, then why are you firing him? Yeah. Well, I just think, and it, was there a power struggle with Adam Gase? No, not at all. <laughs> Who's the GM? Oh, um, Adam Gase is going to be the interim GM. <laughs> like, I mean, you can't make this stuff up if you try. Hey, you really can't. Hey, Ross. There's no reason. Yeah. <laughs> with uh, with the other New York team, the Giants, is the quarterback spot Eli Manning's for sure, or could he get beat for the job by Daniel Jones? I think that they'll let Eli be in there um, if if the Giants are winning and he's playing well. As soon as he struggles at all, I think they'll move on from him. I think that they felt like they didn't. They didn't have a guy that they could move on from Eli for, and now they do. And by the way, I wrote about Daniel Jones in my column this week for The Athletic. All of the vitriol and the animosity towards that kid and that pick is comical to me. I mean, people it's the worst pick ever. It's, oh, my gosh, the <laughs> Giants have no clue. Any guy that says that, I say, I, I go, cool, what, uh, what Duke game did you watch last year? <laughs> like, um, 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 I didn't watch, but I, I heard the other people say, say what? Say that when Duke plays Clemson, those are not the same human beings? <laughs> that Duke hasn't had a single player drafted since 2015, and a lot of those ACC schools have, like, six guys a year? I mean... The whole thing, look, he might stink. I don't know. All I know is Pat Shermer and people whose entire careers are on the line thought he was better than Haskins and Drew Locke. And I know this, too. If you're really paying attention, the one thing we know for sure about the draft is that we don't really know. I mean, nobody two years ago was saying the Bears should have taken Mahomes over Trubisky. This Mm -hmm. is an outrage. Now, of course, that looks really obvious. But nobody was saying that. So for these people to come out so strongly, like they know that Daniel Jones is going to be terrible and Haskins is going to be great, 
is just like comical to me. Now, there is a scenario out there, Ross. We're talking to Ross Tucker. You can follow him at Ross Tucker NFL on Twitter. There's a scenario where, much like the Cardinals, who took a quarterback in the you know roughly mid-top third of the draft last year and then had the first pick on a quarterback again, if Daniel Jones flops, and we're not saying he will, but if he does, and Eli Manning retires, the Giants could find themselves with the first pick, and here's Tua looking at him right in the eyes, and now they might be doing the Cardinals thing all over again next season. Yeah, I mean, theoretically, uh, but I don't know if Daniel Jones will play enough for them to have that opinion, Mm -hmm. and I don't think that happens in Arizona unless there's a coaching change. So the Giants would have to make a coaching change, too. So if Jones stinks and they fire Shermer and Gettleman and a new GM and head coach comes in, Mm -hmm. yeah, I guess that's possible, but they're not going to have the number one pick because the Dolphins are. That's true. So they're not going to get to it. Maybe it'd be Herbert or somebody else. Uh, Ross, myfrontpagestory.com and a Father's Day gift. What does that mean? All right, so myfrontpagestory.com is a business I invested in, and it's the best. Mother's Day, Father's Day, whatever gift I've ever seen. I don't know if you guys saw Adam Schefter got one for his wife for Mother's Day, and it was incredible. Paul, you literally talked to a reporter for 10 minutes about your dad um, or a grad, whoever you want to do it for, but in this case, your dad. The reporter writes the story about how great your dad is, sends it to you, you get it framed, give it to your dad, and I'm telling you, your dad will ball his eyes out. I know a lot of people have never seen their dad buy. You get your da- their dad cry. You get your dad a story like this from myfrontpagestory.com. Oof. It'll be the gift. It'll be the biggest Father's Day gift he ever remembers. Put down the tie. Yeah. Your dad doesn't need another tie. Go to myfrontpagestory.com. Ross, I'm looking at it right now. Myfrontpagestory.com. Let us tell your story. This is brilliant. Very, very well done. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It did very well for Valentine's Day and Mother's Day. I'm getting one from my mom. She's turning 70. Mm. I'm telling you, I've seen so many videos of people crying when they get these now. It's unbelievable. It's awesome. Uh, Have a great day. Have a great weekend. Thank you very much, Ross. We'll chat soon. All right. See you guys. Ross Tucker, Sirius NFL Radio, and uh, MyFrontPageStory.com. Florio, PFT, next. You're listening to PA in Charge. It's a Friday football feast, 9 to noon on the fan. In the morning I raise my head And I'm thinking of days gone by P And the thing I want out of life F Is T Football Feast. Mike Florio, ProFootballTalk.com, at ProFootballTalk via Twitter, and um, NBC Sports Radio each and every weekday. There's also uh, the PFTPM podcast. You can learn more about that at ProFootballTalk via Twitter. Uh, Michael, does the Preakness Stakes make the televisions in the barn tomorrow? I guess I have to say yes because it's an NBC event. So yes, <laughs> right? Maybe. Yeah. So the so hockey. I mean, like Sharks, Blues, absolutely. Uh, Bruins and Carolina Hurricanes. NBC Sports Network, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. In West Virginia, do they even know what a hockey puck looks like? 
Why, why would you do? Why, why would so why, why we going to do an air charge? Yeah, West Virginia, not known as a hockey hotbed. Right. Right. Well, it's not a hockey hotbed, but we do have minor league hockey teams. There are hockey programs at West Virginia University. There's a hockey really? rink. When I grew up back in the 70s, there was a skating rink at Wheeling Park in Wheeling, West Virginia. And they would have hockey games like at all odd hours of the night because, you know, they didn't want to cut into the the available rink time for the people who would pay to show up. Is that how it works everywhere? Do they have like yeah. ridiculous like 2 a.m. hockey games for yeah. youth hockey? Well, wait, so it's early. They get the 5 a.m. ice time. Wait, yeah. so you've lived in West Virginia all of your life? Almost Hell. all of my life. What's oh. wrong? Okay. Hey, 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 guys, listen. Yeah. I, I'm. I, I got other things to do. I mean, I'm not going to take abuse on behalf of the state that I grew up in. I, mean, I don't know why you guys even think it's funny. What's so funny about making fun of West Virginia? We're part of the. We're part. I'm. I'm not. I'm not. Listen. Yeah. I'm not. This isn't a bit. You pissed me off. Why? So let's talk football, or let's end this. Why did the Jets fire their GM at this stage of the equation? Well, look. I don't think they were ready to fire him after the season ended. I think that the chairman slash CEO, Christopher Johnson, the brother of owner Woody Johnson, because Woody is currently the ambassador to the court of St. James, which is a fancy way of saying he's the ambassador to the UK. Christopher Johnson wanted to wait and see and monitor. And I just think that we're talking about two distinct personalities. Mike McCagnan, very laid back, very non-type A, very slow to make decisions, kind of wishy-washy. That was one of the reports out there from Brian Costello of the New York Post. Adam Gase, the head coach, type A, double positive personality. And they just weren't clicking. And Christopher Johnson realized they weren't clicking. So the hay's in the barn for the 2019 roster. Yes, there'll be tweaks as we get closer and closer to week one. And decisions will have to be made about who the final 53 will be. But the end result is Adam Gase, who has never even coached a game for the Jets, who had a losing record in three seasons as the Dolphins head coach, he's now in charge. He's the interim GM. I can't think of a time when a GM was fired and the coach was made the interim GM. Giving him that power, even temporarily, makes it hard to take that power away from him. And I think the end result is he's going to have final say over everything, and the new GM is going to be a guy he wants. Not the best person for the job, it's going to be a guy Gase wants. And frankly, if you go out and hire the best person for the job, then you end up with a GM who's looking to get rid of the coach, and this cycle of dysfunction continues. Don't you think you know, Gase will pick it? Will pick his guy because that guy is not going to fire Gase, right? I mean, isn't that if you're Gase, does exactly. that, become, that becomes your primary hiring consideration is three years from now, are you going to be the guy that fires me? If the answer is no, you're in. Or shorter. I mean, look, every right. GM wants his own coach. That's the first order of business. Right. So that's why it's better to just rip off the Band-Aid and fire everybody. And there needs to be, in any football organization, shared accountability at the top. It can't be in Minnesota that either Zimmer or Spielman get fired. It's got to be both or neither. Now, not everyone has that approach. And some owners will implement a half measure where they blame one guy or the other. But when you foster an environment like that, you're inviting dysfunction because what happens when things start to go sideways? Coach blames the GM. GM blames the coach. Coach is standing on the sidelines, looking up at the luxury suite, seeing the GM there with the owner, thinking, what's that son of a saying about me? Mm -hmm. It's better to have them fused at the hip. They both succeed or they both fail. And if they both fail, they both get fired. Now, I think that's what's going to be the end result here. If you let Gase hire his guy, and at this point, that's the best move. Let Gase hire his guy, make them equally accountable. If it fails, start from scratch. If it succeeds, then crack the champagne. 
Any surprise, Michael, with the developments in the Robert Kraft case? Not, not really, because as I've learned more about the situation, about the facts, about the way that the police did this sneak and peek surveillance video operation, I became convinced that the judge would suppress the video. And here's what happened. There was no finding of a violation that Robert Kraft's privacy rights were violated. The finding was that this entire program of putting secret cameras inside of massage rooms for a five-day period in January of 2019 and capturing images of innocent people who were only getting massages, right. coming into the room, getting undressed, getting a massage, getting dressed. Like, you don't expect a camera to be in there, and there was yeah. no effort to turn the camera off once it was obvious that there wasn't going to be any type of shenanigans going on. That failure to have any sensitivity to minimizing the intrusion on innocent persons results in the videos not being available to be used. So if that ruling stands, and it will obviously be appealed by the prosecution, you've got no case against Robert Kraft. You can't prove anything. The traffic stop that was used to identify that he was even there, that's been thrown out. The video's been thrown out because the traffic stop was just, hey, let's pull this guy over and get his ID. We don't have any basis to pull him over, but hell, we got to get his ID somehow. Yeah. The whole, you have no case. You can't prove anything, and it's just a matter of time then before the charges are dismissed. Uh, we're following the Kyle Rudolph drama pretty closely here, as you can imagine. Um, PFT suggests that the Vikings could facilitate a trade by picking up part of the cost of his salary. Yeah, if that's what the Vikings are motivated to do. I was told in the aftermath of posting that possibility, because other teams have done this in recent years, where you know no one's going to take on the, the full contract, so you pay, pay a little part mm -hmm. of it, and that helps you do a trade. The, the Dolphins did that with Ryan Tannehill. They were going to do it with uh, Robert Quinn, but they ultimately didn't have to because they only got a six-round pick in return. I, I'm told, actually, that, that there is a desire to extend the contract, and the offers that have been made are not bad offers. They're just not good enough to get Kyle Rudolph to take it, and that's the only way to reduce his cap number and keep him around. You reduce his cap number now. You extend the contract by pushing off whatever guaranteed money he would get as a signing bonus into future years, so maybe you get the cap number down to 3 or $4 million. The problem is how much is guaranteed beyond this year and I think that's the concern you could look at the total average value and say hey this is great this stacks up with some of the top tight ends in the game but if there isn't enough of it that's guaranteed and they can wash their hands of him after one year and take the cap hit next year that becomes a problem so they they, they have been talking I'm told about an extension they haven't done much recently by way of making progress mm -hmm. but th there seems to be a desire to find a way to keep him the problem is he's got leverage because he's got that 7.625 million dollar cap number and they want to reduce it and so far they haven't been able to do you think there's a a, a real scenario where he just plays out this year you know, nothing changes it feels like something has to change they either have to restructure it or trade him or cut him it seems like the least likely of those uh, of those three scenarios would be a fourth that they just play out this year. Well, right, but I think that before you play out the full year, what you do is you just go forward and you see how he does and you see how Irv Smith, the rookie from Alabama, does. Mm -hmm. And if you're comfortable before week one going with Irv Smith, then you trade Kyle Rudolph or you take Kyle Rudolph into the season. And if the season isn't going the way that you hope, you trade him to New England before the trade deadline. So here's the problem, though. If you have two tight ends that you believe in, you trade one, the other one gets injured, then you're screwed. So I, I think they really would like to keep Kyle Rudolph around. They have done a very good job of finding a way to keep the homegrown players. And I think that sends such a strong message to the locker room when you find a way to keep your guys around. But the problem is, when you get to the back end of a contract, there's sometimes a number there and a cap number there 
that, that just makes you uncomfortable, especially as the Vikings keep handing out these big contracts and they need to find a way to, to get around that. And my concern would be this process of trying to fix it could end up creating the kind of hard feelings that ultimately grease the skids toward a divorce. Look um, look at all those names you mentioned, Mike. you got Rudolph, Irv Smith, Diggs, Thielen, Cousins, Cook, Bradbury in the first round, Kubiak, Stefanski. Our offense over here is an embarrassment of riches. Yeah, well, but l- l- let's just go win football games, right? Yeah. Pretty good, pretty deep offense, I would say, Mike. Well, we'll see. We'll football. see how they do. We'll right. see how they do, yeah, right? Uh, do you? Uh, hey, you know, if I told you my scenario about what happens if this year doesn't go well, I just can't get you going today. Uh, no, t- I, I am. I'm, I'm gonna. I, I'm gonna get you going. Okay. I, I think that the Vikings and the 49ers are kind of joined at the hip here because if Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't deliver this year, and I haven't written this yet at PFT, I have it, I have it in draft, I haven't finished it yet. Okay. But if Jimmy Garoppolo does not fulfill the promise that uh, was embedded in that contract that he signed, that big contract last year, it will be very easy for them to walk away from him after this season. Yeah. And then, uh, the, and it would be like a cap charge of four point two million dollars yeah. to move forward. Mm-hmm. And then they trade for the final year of the Kirk Cousins contract, and Kyle Shanahan and Kirk Cousins are reunited. Whoa, holy cow! That um, hmm. that definitely is enterprising. There's no doubt about that. Michael. I mean, it would depend upon the 49ers not being happy with Garoppolo and the Vikings yeah. not being happy with Cousins. Because here's the thing: after this year, the the, the Vikings aren't going to go into the final year of the Kirk Cousins contract. I, I would be shocked if they would go into it saying, "All right, we'll pay him 29 million, and we'll see what happens." You're either going to extend it, or you're going to say, "Move on." Mm-hmm. I, I doubt that after two years, you're going to say, "Well, let's just see how this next year goes." Yeah. And and an option would be if the Vikings decide that this isn't the guy, and we have other paths we want to go. Maybe we want to bottom out and go get Taylor Lawrence at the top of the draft in 2021. Jeez. Whatever, whatever, whatever the, the case may be, that that's just a, a way the dots can connect and. And uh, the Vikings would not have Kyle uh, or Kirk Cousins for the full three years of his contract. I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm trying to get you going. Do you think the? Oh, go ahead, Paul. Well, I think to your point on Cousins, I think you, I think you're right that next off season will be telling because you don't want to fall into what the Redskins got into by always letting him play out that last year. And now your options are, are pretty limited, and you're, you know, you, you're right back into the Redskins. Scenario. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's up or out. Bottom line, it it's is. up or out. Yeah. So time for two more. Do um do you think the NFL should consider a draft lottery? Yes. Why? Well, because as it stands, and you know, there's been a lot of talk about Jeopardy James and how he has broken the code on Jeopardy, and he's yeah. you know, and, and and how that could translate to sports. And let me tell you, if if I were cracking the code on the NFL and I owned a team, now you, you can't be an employee because based upon how bad the team is, you may get fired. But the I would have a running tally that would be determined by high-level algorithms as to what my percentage chance of making the playoffs is after week one, week two, week three, week four. And there would be a minimum that if I fell below that, the mim- mm-hmm. I don't have to be mathematically eliminated because yeah. I, I think that that takes too long. Right. There's a point where your internal advanced statistics and analytics would tell you, all right, I'm currently below X percent. Once I get below that, that's when all the starters get benched 
That's when all the backups are put on the field. I'll tell the media that what I'm doing is evaluating these young players for the mm-hmm. purposes of what we're going to do next year. And then I would hope to lose every game possible because the more you lose, the higher you climb. That's the great disconnect that the NFL doesn't want us to pay attention to because it's all integrity of the game and win every game. And then when the season ends, hooray, you got the first overall pick. Well, how did you get it? Well, we lost a bunch of games. And it's like no one's ever allowed to say that, hey, it's good to lose games. It's good to be bad. There's a certain point where it's great to be bad, and your incentive on a year-to-year basis is to be as bad as you can be once you dip below that percentage, whatever that percentage is, 10%, 8%, 2%, whatever. Mm -hmm. That's when you say, time to tank. And I think the NFL doesn't do a draft lottery because merely having one legitimizes this concept of tanking. I think the NFL is so obsessed with making us all believe that every team wants to win every game that it plays, that it doesn't even want to, you know, because you have to weight the the balls for the the team that that finish. Yeah, I don't like the idea of giving the team that finishes worst in the standings the most chances to win the first overall pick because that legitimizes tanking. My proposal is a lottery where you got 20 teams, the non-playoff teams, they all have an equal chance to get the first overall pick in the draft. Then you would never have a temptation to tank. It would never be an issue. There would never be a benefit. If you don't make the playoffs, you have an equal chance of getting the first overall pick and every pick after that. And you, you're, you're going to try to make the playoffs. There's going to be nobody who goes into Week 17 saying, well, you know, if we make the playoffs, we're probably not going to win the Super Bowl, so let's go ahead and not make the playoffs, and then we have a 1-20 in 20 chance of getting the first overall pick. I don't think anybody in their right mind is going to do that. So my idea gets rid of tanking. The draft lottery as the NBA does it legitimizes tanking, and I think that's why the NFL won't even connect the two, because from a business standpoint, from an analytic standpoint, from a crack-the-code standpoint, there definitely is an incentive to tank in the NFL. All right, final one. Patrick Peterson suspended six games for PEDs, including, from what I understand, two games for a masking agent. And then he's got the balls to go to the team and say that they want to restructure his deal? Oh, jeez. Well, at least that part of it isn't cheating. It is legitimate to to move money from salary to bonus so the salary you lose during your suspension Mm. uh, isn't as significant. The Patriots did that with Tom Brady three years ago when he served his Deflategate suspension. But but here's the this is what's amazing to me, and if you haven't seen the video, I think ESPN.com has it, Patrick Peterson talking to reporters last night. There's no remorse there. None. Mm. And and look, the the guy not only was cheating, he was cheating in such an ineffective way that his masking agent, think about this, he took he took a PED and he knew he was taking a PED because yeah. why do you need a masking agent right. if you're not taking right. a PED? His masking agent was so ineffective that it failed to mask the PED <laughs> and it failed to mask itself. <laughs> it's like an episode of Fargo. <laughs> so it's a six-game suspension uh. and then he stands up and he's like, yeah, people know, who know me know this isn't my character. Well, they apparently don't know you well enough because you cheated and you got caught. <laughs> and now you want to cheat the system on your financial uh. side and your pissed off they won't do it <laughs> thank you fargo have a great weekend thank you later guys uh mike florio pft with um uh some very interesting commentary this friday football feast which segues from football to baseball next segment how about those twin enigmatics? let's celebrate x in a row for rocco around the corner it's the Friday Feast, where at some point, Charge will introduce a topic and PA will pretend to be interested. It's 9 to noon on The Fan.
four here in Seattle, then three in Anaheim. Castro with a drive, right center field, back and deep, still back and gone. Jason Castro again, his seventh home run of the year. Now Kepler with a drive to right, it's back and deep and gone. Another solo home run, and it's two to nothing Twins. Home run number 78 for the team, and two solo home runs here in the third. There's a blast to left field, and that's hit a long way. Wow. Almost out of the ballpark. Crone with his 10th of the year, and it's 4-1 to one Minnesota. That's one of the longest home runs I've seen here. And now a drive to center and deep. Smith going back at the wall. That ball's gone. A three-run blast for Byron Buxton. And the Twins have blown it open in the fourth. The fourth home run for the Twins in three-plus innings against Swanson. Nice baseball team, Softy. Nice Mariners team. We went to Seattle. You got stomped all night in your neighborhood. Three in a row for the man they call Rocco. Last night, man, the Minnesota Twins just smashed those M's last evening. 11 to 6 final, scored 7 top 4, led 9 to 1 at one point, and yours truly, where recognizing the importance of sleep. It's very cool when the Twins lead a West Coast game 9 1 early. <laughs> That's right. So we can all go to bed in peace. Good night of sleep. It's 9 1 middle of the game. You can go to bed in peace, even with this bullpen. The probability of 9 1 yeah, going the good. wrong way is about 2.5%. Uh, how about being able to play four straight highlights of home runs? Your opening highlight sound is the crack of the bat. Yeah. Four twins home runs. Yeah. And they didn't span a week of time, they didn't span three games. They all happened last night. Yeah. That's fantastic. That, by the way, is 1,683 feet of home runs you just heard. Holy cow. This team I is... I always love that one. It's nuts, Paul, and it's constant right now. It's three in a row for Rocco. Minnesota is so hot. And for the first time since April 13th, the Twins won a game that Pineda started. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> Michael Pineda is back! Michael Pineda. This was... He, he's hyper and excitable because, like, yours truly with whatever nerdery when it comes to Game of Thrones, coming up with takes that generally don't work, but being really into it. One thing I've laid on this week, and I've mentioned it like four times, the Twins had lost games, five consecutive games started by Michael Pineda. Mm-hmm. During said quintet, Pineda had permitted 21 earned runs. But also during said quintet, where Monday I began dubbing him Michael the Martyr. They were averaging two and a half runs per game during his last five starts. They must be at like five and a half for everybody else. So with ever-impressionable Nordo, the way I set it up very early in the Monday presentation, Pineda, Pineda, L, 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 this is going wrong, this is going wrong, but wait, is he Michael the Martyr? Because when he pitches, mm. they only score two and a half runs. Yeah. Well, they gave him a million last night. And in kind of common thread twins-like fashion, we win 11-6. Pineda, they win a game started by Pineda. 
Buxton looks like one of the better in the game. Sano comes back, goes two of five, looks sharp. Polanco is still. Sh- I mean, the whole the, the whole bit's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But you're winning by a million runs. You put Tyler Duffy in two innings, gives up three runs. It's like you're not going to lose, but can be, because the much maligned bullpen is such a past, current, and foreshadowing talker. When you come into the game, main man, can you just get out alive? Not go two innings, give up three runs. You know what I mean? We uh, well, yeah. I mean, this is at some point they're going to have to address it, right? I mean, you can only go so long with it the way it is. Now, they still have, you know, I don't know, six weeks before the trade deadline or something. But, right. you know, at some point, they're going to have to address that, Paul. Uh, Pineda, by the way, 16 swinging strikes last night. Good God. Yeah, that's excellent for him. You do the Friday football feast and Aaron Gleeman shows up. Did Are you familiar with barrels? Barrels? Barrels. Of bats? Of bats. Yeah. This is the barrel stat. Are you familiar with the barrel stat? No, I'm not. So let me bring you up to speed on the barrel stat. If it and when sports wagering is legal in the state of Minnesota, if it helps Nordo and I hit an over under on Colorado Atlanta first five innings, we'll be into barrel stats. Until then, lead the way. Too bad. Uh, here's your barrel stat. If the barrels are when you a the the ball is hit with optimum exit velocity Jesus. and launch angle. Excellent exit velocity and launch angle. When those two things come together, the stat guys call it a barrel. The Twins lead the league in barrels. Again, those are hits with optimum exit velocity and launch angle by 15 more barrels than the next closest team. Um, Can you repeat the part of this stuff where you said all about the things? Nordo, about 2.30 yesterday in the afternoon, what was your launch angle? (laughs) <laughs> barrel stats barrels uh so get, on to, a know, rope. get to know the barrels uh Pineda with the victory dropped um he dropped his earned run average to 5.55 i always oh, love that one geez. so indeed it is heading uh, in the right direction runs. so here we are yeah now you buried the lead what buxton's the lead you think so buxton's the a topic for this team right now what, what do you think it is? Well, Miguel Sano came back. Yeah. Kind of a big deal. Yeah, but got I mean... A, got they, a double. Yeah, but you know what? They had the best record in Major League Baseball a majority of the season without him. I mean... Marwin Gonzalez, though. Yeah, the... the You know, and then and another aside to the manager, Rocco Baldelli, who who I really like, you know, but he still is very new. He, um, he opted, for whatever the reason, to hit Jonathan Scope third... 0 for 5. I always love that one. <laughs> Scope's always near the back of the lineup. Puts him third, goes 0 for 5, we still crush. Um, I think the A topic with the team is Byron Buxton. He's hitting 282, mm. two, 2 for 5 with a home run and 3 RBI. You know, before the season, I said to the elite of elite baseball minds who would grace the covenant, specifically Aaron Gleeman, why is AG an elite baseball mind? He's the editor-in-chief at baseball prospectus. So he's deep diving more than all of us. For sure. So I'm like 275 for Buxton. The majority of the people kind of, I didn't predict it, but I'm like can he get it? Mm-hmm. The majority of the baseball minds scoffed at it a little bit. He's at 282 right now. So the superstar with the speed, the stolen bases, the Gary Pettis slash Tory Hunter like uh outfield defense now with some home runs, I think he's the A topic for the team. Do you know why? why? You know what the Do you know what the analytics nerds say? Oh, why Jesus. Byron Buxton Crime is man. so much better this year? Why the barrel? 
Paul. I always love. We're that back one. to the barrel again. We're not for the barrel. He was the Jeez. he was a ground out specialist before. Yep. Now he's improved his launch angle, oh, so yeah. the ball is traveling in air. Where now he can use his speed. Yeah. And the launch and the velocity off the bat, the exit velocity also up like six miles an hour. Great. Whoa. Huge differences for a guy with his speed. Launch angle. So that means that he's putting more balls into play. He's turning singles into doubles, doubles into triples, and those are all things that that make Buxton special. Launch angle. This show is naughty and might make you a potty mouth. Gleeman has never mentioned the barrel stat. No. He is the... He's the nerd of all nerds, the deep divers of all deep divers. Yeah. I'll tell you what. He's never mentioned the barrel stat. You know... Barrel stat, FIP, war, VORP, batting average of balls in play, metrics... Is a on the radio is a people meter loser. Now, in 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 truncated fashion, the way you're doing it, we're having fun with it. The say, barrel saying launch angle. Yeah. This show is naughty and might make you a potty mouth. We can win with that for like three and a half minutes, but like overall, people hear this stuff and they're like, "Ducky, they don't want to hear war whip warp." No, no, uh, but. I still think I well, like single malt barrels. Well, whip, oh, whips, yeah, no whips. Kidding. I mean, walks and hits per innings pitched. I think that's a legitimate potential water cooler like bit. And whether people want to think people are stupid or not, wins and losses, saves, batting averages, slugging percentage to a certain extent, RBI, home runs, whip, uh, strikeout to walk. I I think those are still mainstream bits. Sure, that people share. You know what I mean? But then. The, 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 it's a completely different talker for a completely different day. Those who are really metric sound, mm-hmm. I absolutely respect their approach to their craft and to their toil. But when it comes to it becoming TV or radio broadcasting, not Twitter narrowcasting, yeah. mainstream, I'm out. Um, I For me, anything that helps... Uh, that helps me better understand the hitting prowess I agree. of this team I'm interested in. I agree. And when I think it's reasonable to ask, why is this team suddenly hitting the ball like that, right. like they are? Why is this team number two in slugging? You know why what? is this team number two in average? I'm going to go out on a plank here. Yes. Because I have Gleeman Weekly, and the majority of it is baseball. Mm-hmm. When I say go out on a plank... It's like Euron jumping off his ship <laughs> as Daenerys flies over him. Yeah. It's because I can't exactly remember the answer, so I'm going to guess. All right. It's like in the previous regime, there was a high emphasis point on taking pitches and getting to certain counts, where now it's, I'm not saying treat it like D-League softball at Dred Scott and Bloomington, <laughs> but I think they come up there hacking. Mm. I think it's no prototypical, predictable Joe Maurer taking the first pitch 97% of the time. I th- I don't think there are any tells with these batters. You know what I mean? Is like they're, they're, of course, with this much film, there are trends and mirages and tells. But they swing all the time. Well, it's what uh, uh, Baldetti talked about this after oh, the with game. That Baldetti. And, and he said... We're not up there just swinging at everything. And there's a perception that that's all we're doing, of that we're just chopping at anything that comes at us. Yeah, of course we are did. asking our guys to be aggressive, but also to be, I'm paraphrasing, to be aggressive, 
but we're not asking him to swing yeah. at every pitch that comes that comes their way. Who do you like more, Rocco Baldetti or Mario Andrelli? Andrelli. I always love that one. <laughs> so anyway, so what, what were you saying? I like Muhammad, Ali Muhammad. Yeah, Ali Muhammad. Mm-hmm. Um, here we are, forty-three games into a uh, forty-three games into it. We have a four and a half game lead in the division, winning records at home and on the road. Mm. Second best record in baseball behind the Astros and a bullpen that gives fans anxiety every game. They're they're at home beating the Halos 6-1 in a Wednesday matinee, and that thing ends up 8-7 twins with Mike Trout at the plate in the ninth with a chance to win it. Getting plunked. Getting plunked, then Shohei Otani. And then so like now we're 9-1 last night and just crushing, cruising, can't lose, putting a W on Pineda's resume. Duffy comes in, two innings, gives up three. Hildenberger got demoted to a AAA. So I don't know how they do it, when they do it, but it is clear that something needs to be done with a facet of the bullpen to give this team a chance, seriously, if it stays healthy, if it stays healthy and hot, to have a chip chair and a chance for the American League Championship Series. I'm not kidding you. Every Don't at me. Every game is now the long play, Paul. You're not watching for three innings. You're not watching for seven innings. You have to, you're not watching for nine innings because the ends of the games are up in the air both ways. If the Twins are behind, they can come back. Yeah. If the Twins have a lead, their bullpen can blow it. Every game is the long play Yeah, the Minnesota Twins. No, the long play with the Twins is the way you hit the ball, no matter if your bullpen is going like the Royals in their World Series winning year, or if it's bad, you can win every game because of the way they hit the ball. That's the long play. We'll be right back, but first, cash call. Yes, National Cash Contest. Put a grand in your hand simply by listening to 9 to Noon and be in a room, and we love you for it. And I hope one of you wins $1,000 by texting this keyword, super. To 200, 200. Text super to 200, 200. That's the national cash contest. Put a grand in your hand. Text super to 200, 200. Terms and conditions, text message and data rates, and all of that do apply. I'm Kirk Cousins. This is the Friday Football Feast on the fan. You fan. Register for your shot at a one time mosquito prevention treatment for your entire property, and it's courtesy. Of our friends at Mosquito Shield, I've used these guys for three years now. No mosquitoes or ticks in my yard all summer long. They're the best. You'll love it. Go to KFAN.com to register. Make the keyword shield and dance in the street while you're at it. You guys mind um, if for seven and a half minutes before we pause, if I stream of consciousness riff Kyle Rudolph, tight end for the Minnesota Vikings, and and the where we were, where we are, and where we may go, may be going. Please, all good. Now at eleven o'clock, uh, Kevin Gorg and Brian Aragoni are in studio. KG Fox Sports North, BA in paddock analyst uh, for racing at Canterbury Park. We race this evening at six. The Preakness is tomorrow. Racing at Canterbury begins at twelve forty-five. At eleven, KG and BA in studio where we will slow roll the Preakness, peek back at the Derby. Second segment, the Quintet. Each will select horses we believe will win and offer up some betting strategies. Third segment, 
uh, final segment of the week with the KG and BA Stanley Cup playoff conversation and uh, maybe some PGA related conversation. Now, uh, Kyle Rudolph, a major talker, nine to noon this week. Mm-hmm. Such an off season Vikings talker. We actually took phone calls earlier in the week. Wow, and, and got a lot, a bunch. Yeah, uh, be, I'm, so be, I'm a little surprised. Well, it's because Kyle's been here nine years. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's very well liked. Yeah, and and quite honestly. He has had, and 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 sometimes you need to remind people this. He's had a very accomplished career as a tight end for the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, he has the most touchdowns in the history of Vikings football for tight ends. There's only one negative thing that anyone will ever say about Kyle. Why? And that it's he doesn't break tackles. Right. It's the same. It's the same thing every single time. Yeah. Ten positives, and there's that one thing that those that don't like him yeah. will always come back to. The yak is not ideal. Here's the stream of consciousness bit. Elite football minds within my covenant. Can I get a witness? Paul Charchian and Miko Nordo. Have you heard of a man named Charlie Weiss? Yes. yes. Charlie Weiss, former Super Bowl winning offensive coordinator, New England football Patriots. Head coach, Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Indeed. Okay. So they're probably I'm, still paying him, by the way, for that. They I'm, might be. I'm listening to as I am wont to do mm-hmm. because on NFL radio, he has become probably my second favorite bit to listen to behind Pat Kerwin. All right, Charlie is old school. Charlie gets the National Football League from many different angles. Mm-hmm. So recently, Charlie was deep diving Kyle Rudolph. Okay. And he was he and the host were talking about here's the report with uh, Kyle Rudolph paraphrasing telling Sid Hartman Star Tribune not taking a pay cut too young. Uh, a week ago NFL Network guy Ian Rappaport had a tweet saying Vikings tried to extend him didn't work out trade seems to be imminent. Looks like they're going to trade him. Something like that. So we we have wide-ranging Rudolph-related talkers now. All right. You with me on that? Yep. So I'm not going to go I'm not going to go completely down the road on what the Super Bowl winning offensive coordinator, former head coach of Notre Dame, Charlie Weiss had to say, statistically laying it out. It's like I don't know Rudolph's barrel stats <laughs> for what he's done all of his career. All right. There are two things that resonated with me from this Super Bowl winning offensive coordinator. First, Quite honestly, and and maybe it's because maybe he's playing the sentimental card here. Notre Dame ties, knows Kyle, mm-hmm. and you know maybe he's pulling for Kyle. But Charlie seriously made it sound like the Vikings are dumb if they do not extend to Kyle Rudolph, and like they laid out the monies made by tight ends around the NFL, mm-hmm. where Kyle is at seven point five and what he's done during his career. Yes. The thing that resonated most with me is Charlie Weiss and Bill Belichick are attached at the hip. Right. The level of respect those two have for each other is ridiculous. And paraphrasing Coach Weiss, here's how he put it. Belichick looks for, with a tight end or a receiver, durability and catchability. Do you stay on the field and can you catch the ball? Mm-hmm. And then he teaches and works on the rest. But durability and catchability are two things that you just have to have as God's gift. 
We've we have seen the Vikings try to take a receiver who can't catch and get him to catch. Yeah, and it generally does not work. Okay, Rudolph. So Charlie in passing was like, if you look at it the way Bill looks at it, you need to be durable and you need to catch the football. Right. Kyle Rudolph has not missed a game since 2014. And correct me if I'm wrong, he catches everything thrown his way. And I'm like, holy cow, in a roundabout way, is he verbally sliding into my DMs <laughs> saying, go ahead and misstep here, boys, uh-huh. because Belichick is on the prowl. Um, well, I mean, it, it could suggest that is a team that has tight end need. Patriots do. Needless to say, Rob Gronkowski's gone. A lot of people thought they'd address tight end in the draft. They really didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have Austin Safarian Jenkins. Yeah, it's disease. You know, that's it. Yeah. And you know, it, it's not, you know, they've got a whole offseason to, to formulate an offense that doesn't use a tight end. Bill's waiting for him but to get cut. I, I, that's maybe, what he's doing. Maybe. I mean, I mean it's Bill Belichick. There's a long play, copyright you. He's salivating. There's yeah. a long play somewhere in here where he's looking to cap. I mean, the the Vikings, Spielman unearthed a cornerback from Tennessee within the last five years named Justin Coleman. Okay? College free agent, watched him all training camp, liked him, didn't love him, ended up on the practice squad. Belichick plucked him off the practice squad, made him active. He was their starting nickel in the Super Bowl mm-hmm. within two years of coming into the league. Ended up with Seattle, got a pick six against the Vikings last year or a fumble recovery fumble. touchdown. Yeah, fumble recovery touchdown, and just got paid a zillion dollars by the Lions. That's the Belichick long play. Um, there could be, if you want to get really conspiratorial, and I, I don't know that this is the case, but I'll throw it out there. Other teams, you know, other teams can't talk to Kyle Rudolph directly, right? But they have people that could talk to Kyle's agent and start sowing some discontent yeah. with Kyle Kyle Rudolph. Boy, Kyle, you know, if you were on the free agent market, yeah. we think you'd be worth $10 million a year were you a free agent. Yeah. And so you start planting some seeds if you're Belichick, right? Yeah. And you're the Patriots. And <clears throat> that puts the Vikings in a bind. Because the Vikings are trying to get him to take a pay cut, and the Patriots are trying to get him, get the Vikings to just release him outright, right. or be in such a jam with him that they're giving him away. And that there there could be some behind the scenes shenanigans that they're you that the Patriots or another team that are interested in in, in Rudolph are doing to squeeze the Vikings right now. I in I in no way am disrespecting all, everything that goes into the process. Breaking down the all twenty-two, the anal- the analytics, mm-hmm. the barrel stats, everything involved <laughs> with formulating opinions <laughs> that lead you to giving contracts at certain years, certain signing bo- bonus numbers, or certain yearly numbers. You with me on this? Yes. But sometimes there is paralysis by overanalysis, and that's what, not necessarily strictly with this, but old school Charlie Weiss when he was laying it out and I was hearing it, he's like. Are you durable and can you catch? Yeah. If though and Rudolph never drops passes ever. The the only time I ever remember Rudolph dropping a pass back right of the end zone. I was just going to say at Oakland, twenty fifteen, and he was wide open and and copyright Pete Bursich had it been a spear he would have died. Mm-hmm. That's like the only time I I remember him dropping a pass. Yeah. So Belichick's looking at the situation being probably like hasn't missed a game since twenty fourteen catches everything now. 
Okay, so when it comes to being an inline blocking tight end, not great. Great, let's not use him there. Um, okay, his yards after catch never have been great. All right, well, let's put him in a position so that he catches it from 0 to 20 yards every time in the red zone, and we're not reliant on Yak. Yeah. And let's find a way to put 14 touchdowns on him in situations like this. Why? Because he's durable and he catches everything. It was so simplistic, and it resonated so strongly with me, you know? Well, sometimes it is that easy, right? Some, you know, Sometimes it isn't as complicated as we make it. Let me ask you this. Were Kyle not as respected as he is in the community and as much of a fan favorite as he is, mm-hmm. do you think... He would be on roster if he were just an anonymous, an otherwise anonymous player. Absolutely, same stats and everything else. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think anything would change, or do you believe that his efforts in the community and the popularity he has here has changed the dynamic in any way? No, no, I don't. I, Most I, productive tight end in franchise history. I think it enhances his quote brand. End quote. Mm-hmm. I'm not in any way speaking for any of the key constituents within the Minnesota Vikings. I'm guessing. Okay? Okay. So I'm rolling with instincts here. I bet you if you got, just again, the the most key factors of formulating offense, scheme, calling plays, playing with people, I bet you if you get all of them to open veins, they don't care about the 7.5. They want him to get Mm 17.5 because it bolsters what everybody else gets, you know, on an open market. They all want him to be here because he's good. Yeah, and and they don't want good players, players who have certain skill sets that can help a majority of of teams in the NFL. They don't want those players to leave. So I, you know, I if if he's not on the team next year, I I just I can't say it would be the most popular thing I've ever seen. Well, may, I mean, if he was a jackass, like take the <laughs> off the field stuff. If he was just, I mean, he may not have gotten to the point where he was even entering his ninth season with the Vikings in the first place. So the equity's there. Mm-hmm. Statistically, in terms of Vikings tight end related lore, he is the most productive. But I, I'm kind of with you down the line, Charge, where if he was a jackass and they couldn't negotiate the contract extension, it's possible that in the coming weeks, instead of trying to work with Eric Kendricks, who dropped his cap number, this, that, signing bonus, etc., to get Bradbury in the mix. Maybe a trade or even a cutting is probably more likely to be on the table. But he's just been too good for too long. And boiling it down to the basics of Weiss, who's clearly biased because he coached him, he coached Rudolph hey, at Notre Dame. Dame. I'm not, the, I'm not saying he's clearly biased. I'm not going to put that on somebody without he he's a football analyst for an NFL radio network who cultivated this kid and brought him into the program and right. coached him but so there's a bias there but what he's may, saying is maybe, accurate but I'm not going to say clearly biased because I mean I have so much respect for Charlie Weiss I've heard him for too many hours to know how he analyzes football how accurate his takes generally are sure and that that there is merit behind what he's saying no doubt and of all the tight ends he brought up he happened to bring up a guy that he coached at Notre Dame but, but what regardless it, but what is bias <laughs> but when you call somebody bias i mean that's an affront that that's you not know. really it's acknowledging the relationship that he had from the time that he was in college okay so you don't think he's formulating that opinion well you because, keep interrupting me before i blatantly state I'm that sorry. what he's saying about Kyle got is it. indeed accurate got it that he is durable and that the stats and you know from catching and all of that 
the reason we have to go back to 2015 to acknowledge a clear drop is because that's how long it is. Yeah. And that's how consistent he is in the game. So regardless of what I think is the bias and the relationship he has, everything he's saying is accurate. But then that goes down the road of, you know, the equity that he's built here as a person. His college coach loves him. The community loves him. Everybody loves Kyle and wants him to be here, I think. But now we're working on that money end of things. But there is FICA, Fairness in Club Act, where we don't know, and, and unless I missed it, I don't know if it's been reported, if there is an extension with the team, which I believe Kyle would want, what yeah. what are his demands? We don't so, know. you know what? Yeah, if he wants Gronk cash, that's a problem. Right. I mean, he see he sees Thielen and Diggs scoop those chips. Yeah. He sees the quarterback get three guaranteed. Maybe, maybe, with all due respect, because I'm very fond of Kyle, maybe there's a delusional side of Kyle Rudolph where he thinks he's Rob Gronkowski. Yeah, he and, and he's like, well, Kelsey makes this, so-and-so, may, I, I'm as good as them, I, which, which, you know, that's up for debate, and he wants to make that kind of cash. And if, if that's the case, that puts the team in a yeah. very difficult spot. Listen, if he's coming at you want, uh, per, uh, suggesting that he is Travis Kelsey or George Kittle or Zach Ertz, then you know, the, and he wants to get paid like those guys, and the, then you know the conversation ends there. Statistically, it's just not the case. Statistically, he's been in that ballpark. No, I mean he he's has even, he has been over pro- the last several his, seasons. His productivity is nowhere near Travis Kelsey. From it's, not, a, it's not close. From his, a yards and reception standpoint, over the last three years, he is one of only three guys, and it's Kelsey and Ertz in the entire NFL that have been that productive. It's like two thousand plus yards, yeah. and two or three hundred receptions. I forget what it is. He's a, he's in that echelon. Those two guys are game changing in and out tight ends who other teams have to game plan around stopping. I understand when that. when teams face the Vikings, you are game planning to stop. Thielen and Diggs and Cooks, and you have to account for Rudolph, but he's not. You're not building a game plan around him. When you face the Chiefs, you're building a game plan around stopping Travis Kelsey. Right. So the difference becomes maybe the athleticism and some of the dynamic plays. I'm just saying statistically, he's in that echelon productivity wise because the Vikings have leaned on him. But I do believe it is fair to bring up what I brought up to close. Uh, you know, I'm a two sides of the story guy, very journalistically objective. Is we don't, you're very unbiased. That's the key there. We don't know if if Kyle. The assumption is from yours truly mm-hmm. that Kyle would take a career closing extension from this team. I played nine years. Say I go twelve to fourteen. I want it all to be here. But we also don't know what his demands are for guaranteed money. All right, got this seven and a half. You guys are digging for nickels and dimes between couch cushions to pay Garrett Bradbury, so you got to restructure the linebacker. So he recognizes the vulnerability of the situation, and you know maybe he has a bottom line number where he, I'm not I'm not restructuring or extending unless my new guarantee is this and my yearly deal is this. Well, I think it has gone that way. But maybe but maybe there's some delusional to that side well, of it. And if there is, then then the team's got to they have to look to elsewhere. Right. I mean, if that's really if the if he really thinks that he needs to get top 5 tight end money, then it's a, then it, the conversation is it's just over and you need to start planning contingencies on what you're going to do with life without Kyle Rudolph either this year or next. The only alternative to him asking for a number that may be delusional is that the team is offering him an insulting amount of money. So you have to look at how they've locked up a fair number of their core players yep. 
And you have to say, okay, those all look in the mix. They just gave a record number of dollars at the time to the quarterback. Did they insult him with an offer? The Brzezinski and these guys, is that the vibe you think that? So it's two alternatives. Yeah. They either just offered an insulting, awful amount of money that Cole Hicatini would not be impressed with, <laughs> or is the is the is the tight end looking for a little too much? We go to Tauding at 11 a.m., 9 to noon, back after this. You're listening to PA in Charge. It's a Friday football feast, 9 to noon on the fan. Studios. So when um when Daenerys Sunday night show finale mm. not not just season finale show finale it's over yeah the pop the pop cultural phenomenon Game of Thrones mm-hmm. when Daenerys is on a dragon facing known Targaryen Jon Snow yeah and potential Targaryen Tyrion Lannister and wants to inflame all of them to assume the throne. And she says, Dracarys, and the dragon does not blow flames because it will not kill its own blood. What happens after that? Mm. That's the theory you're going with. Yeah. So uh, you're, are you saying Tyrion is a Targaryen? Been saying it for two weeks. Okay. Yeah, he's been and, on that train for a while. All yep. right. Wrong so far, like so, most takes. All right. So then what? So in this scenario, <laughs> Daenerys is up on a dragon. Mm-hmm. She asked the dragon to flame those two to death. A dragon, yeah. which to this point has only ever obeyed her commands, decides not to. Yeah. Right. Then what happens? Jon Snow cuts off her head. She gets off the dragon because and she's the pissed just off. Gonna let that or she could be standing next to the happen? dragon. Won't the dragon just eat? Why? The dragon wouldn't just eat him? No. Okay. but Not, not going to dra- eat its own blood. Okay. But then the dragon's just going to let that happen? Well, after I haven't thought that part out. After yeah, he's uh, not a screenwriter. After, I mean, he's just, he's well, yeah, listen, it's reasonable to ask the follow up to this take. Okay, so well, you play it's also, it out just a little bit. Yeah, it's also reasonable, mm-hmm. zany, and or inaccurate as it probably will be, to come up with a take that is out of the ordinary, as opposed to for a month and change predicting Sansa Stark ends up on the throne, which is the most en vogue popular take of all of them. You know where it's not popular? Because it makes sense. That's why you bet favorites. You know where it's not popular to say Sansa's going to be on the throne? Where? Las Vegas. Yeah. Mine, Bran has moved yeah. to minus 500. Stupid. Might be minus a fixed 500. Race. And in a show that has been in the can for a year, right? Right. So people know. There are extras who know, there are actors who know, there yep. are production people who know, yep. there are video editors who know. They think. There are, people, endings, that, there are people that know, right? But they filmed between five and seven different endings. Oh, did they? To try yes. to fake people out. Well, paparazzi was all over the scene. Okay. So therefore, paparazzi was trying to get a sneaky little uh, cheat on, and uh, they filmed multiple endings. Mm. So clearly, somebody with financial wherewithal, specifically yes. In Britain, yeah, maybe at the bet shops in London. Mm-hmm. This week, this changed. Now it's been a slow play from a wagering standpoint for about a month, for about three and a half weeks. For those of us who follow it, the brand at one point 
was plus 800, plus 700 Ooh. to rule the throne. Yes. What's up, B.A.? Uh, then, all of a sudden, within the last three, three and a half weeks, he went to plus 400, plus 240, into the penultimate, as I shared with Follow the Money, because I asked them, I asked Mitch and Polly, why is Bran even money to rule the throne? Where is this coming from? And they didn't have an answer. After the penultimate, he went to minus 500. Minus 500. Right. So oh, somebody, no. somebody, well, see, but like with prop wagers like this, yeah. maximum wager most bucks. places is 250, yeah. maybe 500 at certain spots. But that, to move it, to be, but there, there's been a fair amount of action on this. There has. So to move it from even money to minus 500, mm-hmm. I mean, there, there, there are people betting this like the show has already come to a conclusion. Well, and that's why you get plus four hundred value yeah, on Sansa. Two hundred on Sansa gets you, you scoop a thousand dollars, which is tempting, by the way. But my worry now is that just so many people know that somehow Brand's going to go from his his wheelchair at Winterfell right. all the way to the smoldering remains of a throne in what's left of King's Landing. Yeah. I don't know. Now it could be that he's just everybody else is dead, and by default. He's the last guy standing. Right. And that's that might be your most plausible scenario. Wouldn't that be how, how an otherwise inert character yeah. ends up winning? Wouldn't how that exhausted be... is the guy that has to push Brand to <laughs> King's Landing? Though? Wouldn't oh. that be the most? <laughs> wouldn't that be the most emblematic finish for a character like Bran? Yeah. For everybody to be gone. And he just falls into the throne. Yeah, that's the only way he could get it, unfortunately. And how disappointing is that, given that he is the most boring, he's the most boring, flat character out of the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, his, his, his only role has been to sort of stitch together the story in a few key places over yeah. the course of eight seasons. Yeah. No personality, no interest in ruling, no suggestion that, that he could ever even be a ruler. Right. And he's going to win. And he rarely impacts. What's the point in knowing all this stuff, Bran, if you're not going to throw us a bone in big spots? And he really hasn't done that. Now, what if everybody dies, and it's Samwell and Gilly, and it's their world to start over again? Hmm. Now, Samwell's a very likable character. Yeah, I don't. I've never looked at him compelling enough to rule the Iron Throne. Agreed. Uh, But but there's nobody left. He is a very if there if there's nobody left. I mean, they, I'm in on Sansa, but I'm just throwing stuff out there. There could be nobody left, period. That's, I mean, that, that's, you and I used to talk about this, joking around, where I was like, I either think the Night King rules the whole thing, mm-hmm. or there's a tumbleweed blowing through King's Landing, yeah. and nobody's left. And that's that's a very real scenario. That would be Game that's, of Thrones-esque. It really would, to just melt the whole thing down, and yeah. you know, to, you're just tatters, and there's virtually nobody left. And, Until Danny yeah. torched all the tumbleweeds, now, now oh, there's nothing. Yeah. Uh, for much more on the season finale, Game of Thrones, uh, don't forget our podcast, Men of the North, The Unsullied. The podcast is Men of the North, The Unsullied, available at kfan.com and via the free iHeartRadio app. Senor Spotty and the analyst are in studio next segment. Uh, Take a peek at the Preakness, talk Stanley Cup playoffs, and uh, PGA. Back after this. You're listening to PA in Charge. It's a Friday football feast, 9 to noon on The Fan. The Fan. She was born Maximum security keeps on fighting. War of will is there, too, as they come to the final furlong. It is Country House on the outside. Maximum security so dead game. He keeps battling on. Maximum security. Country House went two down to the line. Maximum 
July 1st has been disqualified. After the objection, Country House wins the Kentucky Derby with Flavian Pratt at 65 to 1. One of the longest shots in history to win the Derby. KG, Fox Sports North, Canterbury Park. Good morning. Good morning, PA. Good morning, BA. Brian Aragoni, analyst, Canterbury Park, coming up on five years. Longtime uh, horse racing fan, Brian Aragoni. Good morning. Good morning. Paul Charchian, Paul Allen, Friday football feast. And uh, for the next couple of segments, we, uh, we analyze Preakness 2019, look back at Kentucky Derby 2019. In segment number two, uh, this quintet of elite horse racing minds will. We will unveil the horses we like in the Preakness tomorrow. Uh, that race is scheduled for right around 545 Cornfields time. Watch and wager on it at Canterbury Park. If you can't make it to the racetrack tomorrow, uh, you can advance wager said race today at Canterbury where we race this evening at 6 o'clock. Uh, we will give out our selections and potentially suggested routes of wagering, segment two. Then in the third segment... Uh, we will discuss the Stanley Cup playoffs, give a PGA update, uh, get some opinions from Senor Spotty on the PGA, and uh, with Brian, a um, uh, Brian, a a hockey referee, somebody who not only played uh, high school hockey and college hockey, but but referees hockey. I've been waiting for a couple of days to talk to you about that hand pass in the Blue Sharks game a couple of days ago from an officiating standpoint. But first. We heard the stretch call of the Kentucky Derby. Maximum security disqualified, costing, because I was there with him that day, costing Brian Aragoni thousands of dollars. Uh, you were very upset that day, not only because you picked maximum security on the radio, you had a fair amount of, of bets tied into him. How, as a player, do you bounce back from days like that? Well, I mean, you just move on. It, there's always another race. That's the great thing about horse racing or sometimes in sports, there's always another game. You have to move on. You'd be a sore loser. I was upset for an hour, maybe 24 hours, maybe 48 hours. And <laughs> I have still, some text messages. It's still a little bitter. Yeah, there's probably some screenshots out there that I was not pleased. But in the end, I will say that I think the right call was made. He definitely affected two other horses in the race. Now, it's the Kentucky Derby. I don't think it was intentional. I don't agree with Luis Saez getting 15 days suspension following the race, but I think it was unfortunately the right call. I just didn't like how the call played out where a jockey who was not hurt at all by what Luis Saez and Maximum Security did filed an objection, that was what I was most sour about. Yeah, the hard part for me, and I agree with Brian, it was a very, very difficult but right call by the stewards. Yeah. But what stinks is the horse that ends up winning was never going to win the race. He just clomped into second. Yeah. And Maximum Security didn't have to do what he did when he freaked out turning for home to win the race. He was the best horse on that day. Mm -hmm. He was going to win the race. Unfortunately, young horse turning for home, 150,000 fans screaming, freaked out. And what looked like a slight drift turned into the one path out to the five path and a near catastrophic uh, collision with War of Will. So now from from Kentucky Derby 2019, we roll into the Preakness, and, and Aragoni and Gorg are two of the most elite horse racing minds you will know because I would imagine off the Derby you've broken down the All-76. Mm -hmm. 19 runners, 
four hooves each, the (laughs) All-76. And with maximum security drifting out, War of Will, uh, War of Will was impacted. Improbable was impacted. Bodie Express. Bodie Express. So many were impacted. You really, before you can bet above $20 on the Preakness, in my opinion, you need to watch back the Kentucky Derby. And you need to break down that all 76 when it comes to the horses taking the next step into tomorrow's race, the Preakness. Yeah, you do. And the beauty of it now is just go to YouTube, punch in Kentucky Derby 2019, and mm-hmm. you get multiple feeds from different angles. And you can you can take a look at what Brian does expertly on a regular basis for you out of Canterbury. Trip handicapping is certainly a way to find value at the racetrack. He does it every single weekend with our local horses and does it at a really high level. Finds long shots for us all the time. But there are horses that were certainly impacted. You have to draw an opinion now on how much you think War of Will was impacted by that bumping and what he'll do moving forward. Bodie Express, who I thought really was impacted by that collision turning for home, dropped all the way back to ninth or 18th and then came rallying back for a front runner. That was impressive. He looks like a horse, still a maiden that certainly has some upside. And then what do you do with Improbable, who, uh, to be honest, didn't really have much in the Derby as the favorite that day, will be favored tomorrow, and is now racing for the third time in five weeks. I'll say this about the Preakness. The A-listers aren't there. There's no buzz nationally about the field they've assembled tomorrow. But after four or five years of seeing Derby winners come here in eight-horse fields, like American Pharaoh, like Justify, that were 2-5 to five and 1-2 to two on the board, for a horse player like myself, it's refreshing to have 13 horses where the favorite's going to be around 5-2 to two, that's wide open, where you can make a case for multiple horses at double digits. This is a much better betting Preakness race than I've seen Same. in the last handful of years. Same. Well, yeah, Kevin just touched on what I want to talk about. There's 13 horses in this race that can all win. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the horses that are coming out of the Kentucky Derby, they were pointed to the Kentucky Derby. They weren't necessarily pointed to the Preakness. Some of the others in here, some of the fresh faces, were pointed to the Preakness all along. And with no Justify, no Rachel Alexandra, if you're a horse racing historian, you're a little bit disappointed in the Preakness field. But if you're part of the Peace In Network and you're there to take home boatloads of cash, you are absolutely loving how wide open this field is. It's an excellent betting race, and I think the exactas, trifectas, superfectas, that pick four and pick five are going to pay a ton. Uh, guys, let me ask this about about Country House. While we even remember who Country House is, hmm. if you owned that horse, what would you do now? Right, Sell? Just, you back you backed into a you backed into a win. You called it. Uh, undeserved or something earlier. Not something undeserved, like but he was never um, going to win the race. So he was very fortunate because the bumping that happened with maximum security that allowed him to be DQ'd didn't impact Country House. He ran a good race. Don't get me wrong. He finished second out of 19 horses right, that's still, going a mile and a right. quarter. He's a nice racehorse, but he was never winning that race. So would you would you race that horse again? You would, but they're not going to anytime soon. He's he's come down with a cold. He's missing the Preakness. Right. Bill Mott now announced he's missing the Belmont, oh, which is originally okay. what the plan was. If there was no disqualification, they were skipping the Preakness no matter what. They were going to go to the Belmont. Now yeah. he's missing that race. If I'm owning that horse, would you? I would sell right over? now because okay. it doesn't get any higher in the market than a horse that can run a distance and have a grade one win in the Kentucky Derby for breeding rights. That horse is worth a boatload. And you come back and maybe stumble a little bit and don't run as well in races like the Haskell or the Travers, that value then goes down. Maximum Security's owner or owners suing the Kentucky Derby, the Churchill Down. Good luck. Whatever, Kentucky Racing Association or whatever, because he was set to scoop $1.8 million. 
you know, and after that, he got like $2,400 for running 17th. <laughs> so he's a little frustrated. He doesn't like how the whole thing went down. I believe his name is Gary West, who I am I, I don't know him. I don't know a lot. Of, I'm so negative on him right now, not because of this lawsuit that's transpiring, but maximum security is completely healthy. And and the the, the Preakness is a, uh, what what is it, $3 million? Yeah, uh, $3.5 million race. The Preakness is a $1.5 million race. Well, P.A., remember that kid in your neighborhood when you were playing ball as a kid yeah. where there was Take, a controversial ball and going he's home. taking the ball and going home. And How about that? No one ever liked that kid. Right. I, mean, I don't that, like this guy. That is, that is rich, iconoclastic owner mm-hmm. who has a horse who is good enough to be one of the best in the country in a game that some would say has a diminishing fan base field sizes around the country are diminishing. Mm-hmm. There are problems within the game. So what do you do? You take your horse and purposely not run him in a $1.5 million race because you're pissed off you got disqualified. Yeah, it's embarrassing, and it's it's a shame. I get the emotions around it. And, and Brian, you're around the game on a regular basis. The owners make the game go. We love the owners in this game. And Gary and Mary West have been unbelievably supportive of the game. Millions and millions and millions of dollars, but... At some point, take a deep breath and do what's right. Yeah, I think he probably needed to wait at least 24 hours, 48 hours before coming out publicly. Going on the Today Show, yeah. you know, 16 hours later, probably wasn't in his best interest, but he has contributed a ton of money to this game. He's one of the better owners, but I actually think there's some silver lining to maximum security not going to the Preakness. They. This is going to sound weird. You lose out on one point million with the Kentucky Derby, but Jason Service has not had... Zero success coming back on two weeks rest. This horse was vulnerable going into yeah, the Preakness. He never runs okay. his horse. While back, I back. loved him in the Kentucky Derby, he was vulnerable. Let's not forget he debuted as a sixteen thousand dollar maiden claimer. Yeah, just like Country House. All of a sudden, they take their ball. We're nicked up. Didn't come back the same horse. We're skipping the Belmont as well. There's value for the breeding. I don't know. They were vulnerable for the Preakness. But with maximum security, okay, let's take it a step farther. I mean, you went deep diving on the analytics. Of, uh, of the trainer and horses coming back in two weeks. With you on that. From a spotting up standpoint, and that's what we do, we try to find five, eight, ten to one or higher, wager on it, and scoop chips. Who of, of casual horse racing fans going to Canterbury or wherever in the country, if they see maximum security in the Preakness... They're betting with both fists yes. people, at a mile and three sixteenths. People love the retribution mm-hmm. idea. They love the speed angle Boom. and preakness. They he's love six to all. five. He's six to five. He's six to five. And in that to race. Brian's point, he's super vulnerable. Would have been right. an even better betting race for us, right? Which makes it even more frustrating. Yep. Main man is taking his ball and going home. Um, so when it, when it uh, the the producer Miko Pinkai asked me this this morning, top of the head, do favorites generally win the Preakness. It's yes. like we're on a string of short price horses in the Derby, like seven consecutive years, but it wasn't like that before. Isn't when you get to the Preakness, don't the win prices go way down? Yeah, it, the trend the last 20 years has been horses win this race that come out of the Kentucky Derby, and you normally get the top three, four, five finishes in the Derby. This year you get none of the top three, so that, that does change the equation, but mm-hmm. we've seen so many horses repeat. It wasn't just the 
almost triple crown winners, where we saw horses win the Derby, win the Preakness, and then have their heart broken to the Belmont. That happened five, six, seven times. And then we saw two triple crown winners yeah. that also won as odds on in the Preakness. So those numbers certainly are shaded towards low-priced horses and everybody that ran in the Derby. Well, and that's the allure of the triple crown is how difficult it is not to win just the Kentucky Derby, Preakness, or Belmont, but to win them, all three of them, because it is testing on a horse to come back on two weeks rest. And the way the point system is set up, the best 23-year-olds make it to the Kentucky Derby. But since it's so taxing on those horses in the Kentucky Derby, very few of them go back to the Preakness. So oftentimes, the Kentucky Derby winner is taking on some fresh faces. While they're fresh, they didn't make the top 20, taking on a little lesser caliber, and that's why you're seeing favorites come home in the Preakness. Uh, Charge, in closing... It, and and you probably have heard it, and we're not gonna we're not going to regale in the story uh, in elongated fashion. But have you ever heard Kevin's story of Thunder Gulch winning yet. the nineteen ninety five Kentucky Derby? I don't think you have, have you? I don't think so. Yeah, we did, we did yeah. this already. This no, is not on the radio. We didn't. Yeah. But we're not going to do the full thing. I'm just going to paraphrase it. Come on, okay. When it comes to bad beats, <laughs> it's nineteen ninety five. How old were you in ninety five? I was born in sixty seven, so twenty eight. Hey, big-time horse racing fan, um, formulated an opinion that he liked a horse named Thunder Gulch in the Kentucky Derby. Uh, Thunder Gulch, what odds did he go off at? 24-1. to 24-1. to Okay, so Kevin and his... And the sweatshirt's the whole... The best part of the story is the sweatshirt. I'm just going to... I'm going to paraphrase. All right. Kevin and his friends go to Louisville to the Kentucky Derby. Wow. To watch his favorite horse. Okay. And to bet on his favorite horse. Yes. They... Develop sweatshirts, Thunder Gulch orange and blue sweatshirts. Wow! So they have uh, is like the rider wearing orange and blue. That's yeah. the silks, yeah. Okay. Michael, Michael Tabor silks. Yeah. Yep. So I love Thunder Gulch like that all over the place. They go there, fistful of money, fistful of dollars. Get to the Derby, uh, lines aren't bad, and um, for whatever the reason, Kevin decides to not bet. No, I had the bets in my hand. I had the tickets in oh, my see. hand and. The lines were long, so I made my bets early. Uh, then it's a minute to post, and uh, I'm second-guessing myself. Yeah. And my mom, when I was a kid, always said, if it looks too good to be true, son, you know, there's something wrong here. And oh, it now looked... you blame your mom. No, but Gary Stevens is the number one jockey in the country. D. Yeah. Wayne Lucas, number one trainer in the country. 24-1. to one. 24 to 1. What's wrong with this picture? So I said, yeah. you know what? I'm going to the window. It's a minute to post. They're approaching the gate. There's no one left to bet. They've all made their bets. Yeah. This old guy at the, uh, the window is just... Picture what you expect at mm-hmm. Churchill Downs with a minute to post. I bring my stack of tickets up. Sir, I want to I want to change these tickets. He grabbed the tickets. He stopped himself. Son, are you sure you want to do this? Yeah. <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm taking all this money that I've got on the 11. The best. And I'm going to put it onto the 10, which is uh, a horse called Teano Run with Jerry Bailey, who's about 10, 12 to 1. Yeah. Switches the tickets out. Yep. Horses load the gate. Off they go. Watching the race, remember that conversation we just had covered up, all dressed up, ready to yeah, go? Yeah. Halfway through the race, I say a, a word I can't say on the radio, turn to my buddy and say, I'm blanked. <laughs> <laughs> because Gary Stevens is sitting on a loaded gun. And Thunder Gulch rolls to the lead. I walk away ready to throw up. And just as I'm walking away, they turn for home, and all of a sudden I hear the track announcer, and here comes Teano Run! <laughs> and so I spin back, run back to the TV. Thunder Gulch has the lead. Teano Run's charging down the stretch, and Teano Run uh, runs second. 
And the move cost me $18,740. Oh, God. So that would be an L for oh, today? Now, this is before cell phones, so I get home and had told everybody in town yeah, what I was yeah, doing. Uh, They're all excited 38 for messages yeah. on my phone with congratulations. Dollars. Yes. So that would be an L for today? And he had to leave the racetrack in uh, his super special Thunder, <laughs> Thunder Gulch I love Thunder Gulch sweatshirt. Oof. Unbelievable! It's one of the. It's one of my all-time favorite oh. stories. Uh, we uh, this quintet of uh, horse racing minds will will release horses we like in the Preakness around the corner. But first, national cash contest. Somebody's going to put so a grand the, in their the hand of that story in their hands simply by listening to nine to noon and the fan every hour for a fresh keyword. This hour's keyword is hockey. Text hockey to two hundred two hundred. Hockey to 200-200. That's the keyword. Win $1,000 with the National Cash Contest. Hockey to 200-200. Text message data rates apply. You're listening to PA in Charge. It's a Friday football feast, 9 to noon on the fan. fan. Programming on the fan brought to you in part by Quick Trip. Hey, the Rube Party. It's presented by the Minnesota Lottery. It's back. Just say, I'm in, and join fan personalities, drinks, food, and a live performance by the Chris Hockey Band. I think there's an Ask Me Anything bit at like 8 with Common and Barrero, Super Show on stage at Poor House. That's downtown tonight at the Poor House in Minneapolis. Doors open 6 p.m. Chris Hockey Band starts around 9. I mean, it's a full night of festivities. So again, get there this evening, Poor House, downtown Minneapolis. Uh, not only that, though, by the way, Minnesota Lottery putting a lot of this together. Uh, they're going to give one lucky Rube $1,000 tonight at the Poor House in downtown Minneapolis. So get to KFAN.com, keyword Rube Party for all the info, but uh, come hang out with a fan. KG. PA. Um, are you familiar with Johnny the Mouse Mickelson, captain of the 83 YZ Club hockey team? I'm quite familiar. He sent me a text Mm-mm. two and a half minutes ago. Sorry, just got to my radio and only heard the tail end of the Thunder Gulch story. Jesus. Can you guys please repeat it? <laughs> I always love that one. <laughs> I mean, I think we kind of got to the crux of it, right? We sure did. Kevin Gorg, Fox Sports North. Please stop. Uh, when are you working twin? When do you have twins duty? I go to Tampa a week from Wednesday for a four-game set at the Trop, which actually should be a pretty good series. Two of the best three teams, um, at least record-wise, in in America in the American League. You know? Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And how about last night again? God, they are a fun watch right now, the way they're playing. Brian Aragoni, in-paddock analyst for uh, Canterbury Park Racing. Uh, he's been working with us for several years at a very high level. A longtime horse racing fan, Paul Charchian, Paul Allen. This is the Friday Football Feast, and it is time to unfurl the horses we like in the Preakness and why. We will begin with Baby B, Mr. Aragoni. Who do you like in the Preakness and why, and how would you bet it? I mean, it's more who don't I like. I think this is a wide-open betting race. I'm going to try and use multiple horses and exactas, trifectas, try and be alive to a plethora of horses in the pick fours and pick fives. I'm actually, unlike the Derby where I keyed around maximum security, I'm going to try and be alive to five or six horses and exactas and trifectas because Love it. this is not a race where I, I want to put all my eggs in one basket. Of the horses that ran in the Derby, I will say that I was most impressed by War of Well. Now everyone says, well, duh, but... War of Will, while it looks like an 8th place finish beaten by four lengths, this horse was game. Even after the trouble, he fought on well. He tired very late. Now cuts back in distance, draws the one hole again, which Mark Cassie 
has said, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. But why can't they get the same trip they did last time, minus uh, almost having their front front uh, quarters taken out? I think that horse is in with a chance, certainly. I am against improbable. I do not like improbable. This horse went off as the favorite in the Derby, went off as the favorite multiple times earlier this year, including the Grade 2 Rebel, and is 0 for 3 as a three-year-old, and now is going to be heavily bet again. Mike Smith, he took off Corey Lannery in the Derby. He hops on. I read Ortiz goes to Bourbon War. I'm going to play against Improbable. Now, I'm not sure if I have the guts to leave him off my pick fours or pick fives, but Improbable will likely not be in my exactas or trifectas because I'm going to spread as deep as I can without the favorite. Tell me about the jockey change. Did Mike Smith worm his way onto this, or did Ortiz get off Improbable? Now, I'll let Kevin deep dive on Bourbon War and Irad Ortiz, but yes. it's my opinion that I think Irad actually made the call himself. Well, I that think means he, a lot to me. If I he, think he, he likely had an opportunity for mm-hmm. improbable. He does not ride a lot for Bob Baffert, and Bob Baffert has come out and not been so subtle about being unhappy that Mike Smith uh, went with Omaha Beach versus versus Roadster or Improbable or, in fact, any of his three horses in the Kentucky Derby. I think Bob Baffert was a little bit sour, and Mike Smith, he's a Canterbury great, Hall of Fame rider, things like that. But he's seen better days, in my opinion. He's one of the best. But Irad Ortiz, I think he made that call versus Mike Smith. But wait, wait, I'm tripping here. Did you make a pick in the Preakness? He likes War of Will on top, but he's going to use multiple horses. Okay, Yeah, it's a lukewarm feeling for me. This is not the serious horse racing channel featuring Andy Byer and Jay (laughs) Pridman. Okay, this is kind of an unsophisticated audience heading to Canterbury, looking to bet one horse and not necessarily tie five or six up and pick fours, that'd be great. I'm then, then that's or what, you can take our four horses and box them up in a, right. in a try and see. That's what we all will do, but I mean, it, let's, let's put it this way. if if Who was it, War of Will? The one who looks very live. Yeah, uh, the way you laid that out, if War of Will wins the Preakness, the main thought of 9 to noon is how do we tie that prediction into the Monday morning montage, and you just didn't give us enough. What? So here's the thing. I'm going to take a page out of Mouse Mickelson. He's texting, you know, now he's tuning in. Did you do a dime superfacta? No. I I like all the odds. I like the odds. Oh, no. You're out of the montage. Hang on one second. You're out of the montage. Just bear with me. The odds horses, there's certainly a chance, but War of Will, let's not forget about Laughing Fox. If I'm going to have War of Will, I'm going to have Laughing Fox and Always Shining or Shimming oh, underneath because Laughing Fox, Steve Asmussen, Ricardo Santana, off of an easy win, should get a great trip. Okay. And then Always Mining. Always Mining. Centeno and Kelly Rubo. I mean, this yeah. horse is 7 for 12, 8 to 1. Okay. Those two for me. Yep, you're out of the montage. Gorg, who do you like? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. I need to go next because you go I next. know the least here, and if, if you guys mow my lawn, I have nothing left to say. <laughs> I'd love to mow your lawn. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I think Bourbon War is going to win this, and I don't understand the 12 to 1 odds whatsoever. Okay. We already talked about the jockey. I, I, we love Ortiz, and I think, and Ortiz has only been, has ridden this horse four straight times. I like that part. Um, I love the consistency of the speed ratings, and it doesn't hurt to have a late pace horse in a race this long. They add blinkers. That could be a factor here as well. And when I, when I roll it all together, I, I just I love the consistency. I love the graded race. I love the experience, and I love the jockey. So I'm I am on Bourbon War first, and then I'm really intrigued by a thirty to one horse named Signal Man. He's been in five Grade One or Grade Two races, which is a big distinguisher by itself in this field. 
He's finished in the money four times. And he's at 30 to 1. He's posted speed ratings that are consistent with the very best in this field. Signalman at 30 to 1 is an amazing, I think, exotic play. I am going Bourbon War Boom. over Signalman, and that's my play. In You're going to be rich. In an exacta? In an exacta. And are you going to bet Bourbon War to win? I am. So I'm not boxing, I'm exacta ing. Uh, KG. Yeah, I, I think his Signalman take is interesting because I wrote down exotics filler. When I handicap the race, this is the kind of horse you need. When you hear Brian talk about those trifectas and superfectas at a huge price, that horse can certainly hit the ticket. I'm with Charge on this one. I don't think we're going to get 12 to 1. I think it's going to be closer to 6 or 7 to 1. I'll take it. I read Ortiz, you mentioned, one of the elite jockeys in the country right now. And here's what I love about this horse the pace in the race is going to be honest. You have 13 horses, five of them have natural speed where they want the lead or near, they want to be near the lead. He's going to save all the ground because the horse to his inside, War of Will, is a pace presser. He draws, he'll draw right over to the rail. He'll save ground. He's a fresh face. I don't like the favorite. I'm with Brian. I'm against improbable. I will not be using him on my pick threes, pick fours, and pick fives. I am 100% against the favorite. It's Bob Baffert. If he wins, he wins. He'll pay $6.60, and I'll go home. That's fine. But I think there's value in this race. The other horse I like with Bourbon War is the five a little bit, Owendale. Uh, mm-hmm. Talk about speed ratings. His 98 buyer figure towers over this field that he earned last time at Keeneland in the Lexington. Comes back with bullet works, sharp right now, Florent Giroux in the saddle. Those are the two horses I'm keen. I think the pace is going to be electric. I love Bourbon War in this race. Uh, can I ask you guys about always mining, which caught my eye, and I need I want your help as experts. What do you do with a horse that has won six straight races, but none of them are graded races. And he's only gotten stronger as he's added length. What do you, I, I, For me, that's just too much of a class jump, so I struggle. Yeah. What do you guys think about always mining? Well, what you do is you get your horse racing minds together, mm-hmm. and um, you realize the most lethal adage or angle in horse racing, KG, BA, is what? Speed. Speed. Let alone loan speed. So, when Always Mining jumps out of the gate and opens up three or four lengths on the field and never looks back, wow! yours truly, really? what I do is I get into my wallet uh-huh. and I just, I go up to the, um, I go up to the, the individual taking the bets at Canterbury Park mm-hmm. and I say, here's the deal. I want $10 to win on number seven in the Preakness and I want you to push that button until all is a Scott or Clark. It's got to be Scott, right? <laughs> Scott Until County. all of Scott County <laughs> runs out of paper. Because, ladies and gentlemen, oh, here we go. Always Mining uh-huh. will be your 2019 Preakness champion, and he leads it wire to wire, and I am going to nail the Preakness at about 6-1. to one. Nice. Can I get a witness? Does anybody like my horse? Th- this feels like deja vu to Mendelssohn. I think the no, last time no, he hit the paper on. was when was Mendelssohn. No, this horse has... No, it, was, um, it was the um, the Gotham horse or the, the wood horse last two weeks Tacitus. ago. Tacitus. It was Tacitus two weeks Who ago. Who didn't run poorly. No, this horse has a shot because normally you look at the local horse to Charger's point, you don't see any graded races, and you're like... He's bringing a knife to a gunfight, but this year, none of the top horses are here. It's Who the B-listers. Right. So this horse has the hometown advantage, mm-hmm. does have the speed, but I think there'll be company I, up front. I, I, I like so. that pick. I do. I like that pick a lot. I, I'm not sure if Thank you I'm using yet. the horse, though. Yeah, did you have Warriors Charge on your on your racing form or Market King? Because you are far 
a far cry from Lone Speed. Warriors Charge, uh, you know, just took the last two races at Oaklawn Park, okay. gate to wire in front running fashion. Thanks, Andy Meyer. And, and Market King. I mean, those two are <laughs> yeah, always mining is not, it maybe not even be on the lead. Okay. He sat off of it last I time. I think you'll have to sit off it, yeah, PA. Thanks, Eddie Olchek. Yeah, but no, I think but, he's got a big shot. But you get Centeno, and you've been running against some of Laurel's finest, which is a little different than Kentucky Derby for sure. Yeah. But, and this horse is in with a big shot. Now, I will give you some Monday morning montage. I'm six, maybe seven deep. No improbable. And I'm sorry, KG, I love your handicapping. No Bourbon War. If that horse wins, well, that's the, all my tickets are done. Well, you can tear him up right now because Bourbon War is going to be there when the real running starts, well, my friend. Well, we'll see. <laughs> he's coming down that stretch, and he's coming hard. Yeah, I mean, he he didn't really come down the stretch at all last time. He, he well, was let me ask you this. Rat. What do you, what do you make of the Florida time, Derby? No, well, he was he, running against Maximum Security. And who else? Well, he, he lost to a maiden. Of, Have you heard of Honor? Bodie Express? How about Code of Honor? How do you run in the Derby? That's the take, right? It's it's you look for a live race, yeah. and the, well, the race Florida that he comes derby out in the Arkansas Derby clearly were the, the class two live races in the Derby. Correct, and Kentucky I derby. really believe until I crush game winner in the Belmont, who by the way had a ridiculously bad trip in the Derby. Don't forget Belmont. We are crushing game winner. Maybe the worst. He had a worse trip than Warren he might have been best that day. But my point is, mm. this horse at six or seven to one charge. Run, don't walk to the windows. You can key him. You can bet him to win. Every try, every exact. Right I'm no, talking about the Preakness, Bourbon War. Preakness, oh, bourbon war. war. Oh, back to bourbon this war. horse will leave them punch drunk well, on Saturday. Right. Uh, B, uh, excuse me, Nordo, Miko Pinkai, give me a winner of the Preakness and make it montage worthy. Well, hold on. What's the Miko Pinkai thing from? Je- uh, Lafitte Pinkai. He's yeah. a world class jockey. Junior is one of the most famous jockeys. You don't have Pinkai. And hope. his name's Pinkai? Uh, uh, pink eye. Pink oh, okay. Sorry, it's pink eye. He's <laughs> nicknamed Fart Pillow. Like what? <laughs> no, Meat Sauce couldn't be yeah, here. Hey, no, that's we're a tremendous. Not, we're not putting the nickname Stink on you. Okay. okay. Thank God. It didn't have anything to do with that. It's Lafitte Pink Eye Junior. I'm calling. It's either Miko Pink Eye, McCarran, or Shoemaker. <laughs> uh, I get you guys are all negative on Improbable, we and are. I know that he fails as a favorite, and this, that, and the other thing. Uh, I'm rocking him into this, but the the winner of the race is going to be Wara Will, who I think without the near catastrophic negativity that took place with Maximum Security, uh, he's a late charger, and I like that. And I like him right in on the rail again. So I'm taking Wara Will as the winner of the 2019 Preakness, and so I'm going to loop him in, uh, do a win bet on him, and then I'm going to do a trifecta box of War of Will and uh, Improbable, and then the two-horse, Bourbon War. So that's what I'm going to do on Saturday. A lot of Bourbon War steam in the old Brian Heating and Cooling Studios today. Let's go, let's go. Well, uh, Eddie Olchek analyzing uh, Bruins and Hurricanes last night, third period. No. They, they put up the field. Okay, he was so high on Bourbon War. Oh, no. I swear to God, for the first time in his life, Doc Emmerich's going to go to the ATM (laughs) and find a way to bet this race. I mean, our guy... Too much steam. Our guy, Edzo, was all over Bourbon War during the hockey game last night. I I couldn't believe it. I'm watching NBC. He's talking about Bourbon War, but then he's saying how he's going to play his tickets as exact as who he's using underneath. He's using five or six underneath. He literally laid out exactly how he's going to go to the window and read it to the the teller. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he I mean it was big exacta box, trifecta, superfecta key, the whole thing. Smells like five to one. Okay, recap. Yours truly in the twenty nineteen preakness predicts number seven, always mining, will be the winner. Paul Charchian. I predict Bourbon War will be the winner. Signal man will come in second. KG. 
Preakness, Saturday, number two, Bourbon War, charging down the stretch to win the 2019 Preakness Stakes. Baby B, the other war, war of will, down on the rail, was all dressed up last time, he gets the win this time. Miko McCarran, war of will, will win the 2019 Preakness. (laughs) Back after this. You're listening to PA in Charge. It's a Friday football feast, 9 to noon on The Fan. The Fan. Nothing I can do. I feel so bad. Yeah, I feel so blue. 46 minutes past the hour. BA, Brian Aragoni, Kevin Gorg, Paul Charchian, PA in charge on a football feast Friday, final segment. Preakness stakes tomorrow at Canterbury. We race at 12.45. Bet it tomorrow. Advance wager it today at Canterbury if you can't make it tomorrow. Stanley Cup playoffs continue this evening. San Jose Sharks and uh, St. Louis Blues. San Jose jumped up 2-1 in that series after a controversial victory at St. Louis in Game 3. Main man Brian Aragoni not only skated at a high level for Hill Murray, uh, but he has been a hockey official for many, many years. When uh, be, being officiating trained. When you saw the hand pass bit and knowing there are four refs on the ice who had the opportunity to see it and none of them did, just like what was going through your head? You know, I, I don't really know how it played out. So in officiating, when you're at the college ranks or in the NHL ranks, there's four officials, two referees and two linesmen. Uh, the linesman job are offsides and icings, and then you also have the hand passes and high sticks. Now, typically a referee, an experienced referee, will say, give me first crack at the high stick or hand pass when it's in the zone. Now, the low referee who's down by the goal line, his job is to watch the puck because it's essential to see if the puck goes in. The high referee is watching the slot area, oftentimes not even watching the puck. So the high referee is completely out. The two linesmen are in, and I think what happened was the referee maybe said or there was an unwritten uh, discussion that they had, give me first crack at the hand pass. Linesman may have seen it. They tried to give the referee the first crack at it, and boom, just like that split second, next thing you know, it's in the back of the net. But what needed to happen and what did happen, and I'm not sure how it played out, is the discussion afterwards. I'm fine with the goal going in the net. The referee obviously wasn't sure. I don't think he signaled it was a goal right away. They came together, and when they come together, they need to get that call right. You have to have that call right. Someone has to see it. It wasn't hidden. It wasn't subtle. His arm moved. It was a hand pass. And I think a linesman need to come in and overrule what the referee saw. And it but the to be linesman right. apparently didn't see it, right? I mean, Correct. The, the issue here is nobody saw it. The that, issue here is it should be reviewable. Together, you, you can come together all you want, but if that, nobody saw it, it's dead. That explanation, by the way. Wow. What a great hockey mind. It was brilliant how you laid it out with the two refs here, two refs there. The unspoken bit or the unwritten bit is like, hey, I got the hand pass. I got the high stick. Give me first call on that. I, I never would have known any of that happened. Well, and the and the referees are the more experienced one. They're paid the most. They get penalties and goals. That's pretty much their job and communication with the coaches and things like that. But it is very difficult, and I've been there as a linesman, where if you see something and the referee sees something else, yeah. you're a little bit younger. You don't have the stripes on. Well, awkward you, spot. You need to stay in your lane. So maybe you come in and mention Hey, you know, I, I thought it might have hit his hand. Mm. You lay it out there, and if he shuts you down, now you're stuck. 
Now, what, what do you do from there? Do but you really? Not, but you can't if it's not called immediately. The, there's nothing there's you dead, can do. You're dead then, right? per the, the hard, yeah, the hard part is, and what they need to take a look at moving forward is, it's not a review, view, reviewable play. Yeah, it didn't directly result in a goal, so that part of it you cannot review. Yeah, and that's where the linesman, if they did see it, we don't know for a fact that mm-hmm. they did or didn't. They need to speak up. Well, they must not have. Must not have. Well, to Brian's so, point, seniority-wise, they technically work below the so. officials, so it's. A situation where I think this is what I saw. Ultimately, it's the guy with the orange stripes that make the call. They should. And the way they handled it afterwards seemed like they were more interested in just getting off the ice. Because it was a hostile environment. Oh, right? yeah. And what they should have done was explain the situation. Right? And not only did the refs not explain what just went down. Almost like the Kentucky Stewards. A little bit. <laughs> not only did they not do that. The NHL scrubbed their social media and their entire website of what? any reference to the hand pass. What? You know, they would refer, they and, would make passing reference to a controversial play. Yeah. They took all of it out. And it, the whole, it makes the whole thing mm. seem way, way yeah. shadier than it has to. All they had to do was say, you know, the, the game is over. You know, we, you know, the hand passes are not reviewable. Mm-hmm. And so we can't look at it. Nobody saw a hand pass. That's it. I, I think it's a, a testament to a, a bigger issue here we have here. I mean, the Kentucky Derby, the stewards there, they didn't even answer questions. They went out, read a statement that they could have just released, and then took no questions. You know, the New Orleans the NFC Championship mm. won't even get started there. Yeah. But all of a sudden, officiating is on the forefront, and they're just sticking their heads in the sand, and that only makes things worse. Now, I think there's going to be some major changes. You go back to the San Jose Sharks, where they got a five-minute power play Oof. from a questionable to non-existent five-minute major where four referees saw that play oh. and nobody raised their hands and then all of a sudden he's laying lifeless on the ice and bleeding from his head and yeah. now we have a five-minute major. They're going to go back and look at it, yeah. but I I think they there's a possibility that they called it a goal thinking that it could be reviewed, thinking that it, was, it happened so quickly that the hand pass was right there. Yes, it wasn't hand passed into the net, but maybe we could review the hand pass after. I'm they, not they sure. They have to know what they can and can't review. It was Come never going to be reviewed. And then uh, there they was all kinds of that. drama. The GM of St. Louis pounding on the, the referee's door trying to get an explanation. It got, right. it got ugly. It got ugly. And You want to know how ugly it got today? Um, it just was released. The owner of Maximum Security there we go. is yes. suing Andy Von Helleman. <laughs> I always love that one. And... Um, off the commentary provided the last 10 minutes, Brian Aragoni's been relegated to Holy Family Girls Hockey. Nice. I always love that So one. the whole playoffs are under all this scrutiny for bad bad officiating throughout the playoffs. Avs fans are mad. There's you know, there's a lot. There's a lo- Vegas fans are Vegas really re- mad. Yeah, exactly. And I think deservedly so. But does anything really change in hockey because you've got this core fan base that just isn't going to leave? And so the hockey doesn't, I don't know that hockey's got the accountability that other sports have because they know that their, their fans are these devoted, loyal, you know, niche fans that aren't going anywhere. 30 seconds, BA, you get it all. Uh, absolutely. But I'm going to need a lot more than 30 seconds. This could be 30 minutes to a year long discussion. I mean, ultimately, what I don't want to see is, you know, they change it so much. Everyone can agree. We want the calls right. But I don't want to go back and if the whistle, there's no whistle for five minutes and suddenly we're going back to review and icing that happened five minutes prior. There has to be a line drawn somewhere. And now with sports betting being legalized in states, how much of a nightmare would it be 
when money changes hands, oh. politicians getting involved in video replay. Brilliant work today. Thank you, B.A. Thank you, K.G. Happy Thank weekend, you, guys. Georgian. Best of luck with the Preakness, everybody. Come on, Bourbon War. And uh, B.A., K.G., and I will see you this evening at Canterbury Park, where the people come to play. Nordo, great work. Have a wonderful weekend. And uh, please, put a wrap on the show. Wraps brought to you by the Paddy Wagon, 61st and Nicollet. Head Bob Antenna. There we go. Friday Feast Charge always loves Rocco Baldetti. PA Google image searching Lena Hetty. On Twitter, I never blocked people like Jermaine Effetti. Show's concluding, now cue the confetti. At least we started on a cool note. Friday feeling, kicking off festivities with Adam Thielen. I finally paid charge, pennies in a brown bag. Now he can upgrade to a bigger, better ball gag. And Cersei's still alive in year on two. Jon Snow will kill Daenerys, we're all like boo-hoo. Bran will say something creepy, set a super boring tone. Ultimately, it's Sansa Stark on the throne. I love it, baby! Under your butt. Hey, have a seat for a second. Football feast. Nine to noon. Not much else to say. It's been a joy. Have a good night. Time for two more. Good times. If it's good news or money, leave a message. Podcast today's Paul Allen show. Or listen back to previous show interviews by going to the iHeartRadio app or KFAN.com.